Hey everyone, a quick note before we start today's episode, I want to point you to our brand new website at guiltgracepod.com for all things guilt, grace, gratitude, all of our podcasts, their categories by type, by episode, by season, by author, by topics, by all those good things. So everything guilt, grace, gratitude podcast you can find at guiltgracepod.com. Dot com, as well as our brand new confessional podcast network, which will be housed at confessionalpods.com. We have our inaugural sets of podcasts who have joined us, and we have more who are coming on board pretty soon. And you can also find the confessional podcast network on anywhere good podcasts are found. If you guys can help us in any way financially, go to guiltgracepod.com to give and donate. We have a lot of big plans for 2023 and beyond. and We would love for you to partner and support and build this bridge to confessional reform theology with us. Now, let's get on to this episode. And that's to read the Bible to them. It's not just to... Mm -hmm. Give him a curt response. I like that was kind of surprising. It's not like I, I I should have expected it from Dr. Ibrahim, but he like we asked him like like how would you engage with them? I was like I would just read the Bible with them. Like you actually read the Bible with them, um, and you allowing the Spirit of God to work in their hearts to transform them. Um, I think that's probably the biggest thing. It's it's reading the Bible to them. We can go through the philosophical arguments on top of that, but I would say that's that's probably the big that's probably the big thing. There's no like. All of us want a silver bullet. Like, give me the quick, fast thing to work. But I think it's, I think Dr. Ibrahim was right. It's you read the Bible. Welcome to the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition, delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Hello, everyone. Yet once again, it's another day of fresh grace and mercy. This is the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast, sponsored by Lagos Bible Software, where we bridge the gap to Reformed Christian theology for your listening pleasure. And today we are on our Season 5 Apologetics Finale Recap Episode. No exciting guest today, just Peter and myself. <laughs> but hey, this is going to be great because um, I've found these type of episodes, the recaps, to refresher. If you listen to it, you'll know what episodes maybe in the season we're just, uh, we just did to kind of fly a flyover and summary of everything and you can go back and re-listen or listen to stuff for the first time and then a reminder about season four um and then what we have coming up so it's kind of like a sandwich we're talking about season four five and six so the reformed church in season four apologetics in season five and then we'll tell you later in this episode what's on uh what's on the docket for season six so yeah, let uh, Peter further introduce Peter Bell today. <laughs> <laughs> further introduce himself. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's, it's kind of weird. Like, whenever we do these, because we started doing this, I think, we do this after season three? I forget. Or did we start doing this? I think we did start to do this after season three, and then did the best of season two, and then we did season four. I think this we, this is the third time, which is... It's weird, always like recapping seasons, 
and knowing like, oh, we just finished doing whatever it was, 20-something episodes. It's always a weird feeling knowing that you finish the season and you're going into a new season. It's a milestone because each season is six months of yeah. work. Yeah. And this one we did slightly. I think I think we're getting better at scheduling um, where we batch them based off of our like our availability. So just kind of let you guys behind the scenes, as it were, of this. And I think other podcasts, I think... We're not like big by any stretch, but the bigger podcasts, I think, do the same thing. Where they, where they, it's called batching. So we we recorded most of these episodes between was it August and September? I think we just had like a, a blitz of like two months. Where we recorded like ten episodes a week. What like whatever it was, I forget. It was it was, it was a blur. Yeah, it was yeah. extremely <laughs> <We> blacked <stressful>. out. <laughs> yeah, that was that was pretty crazy. But it, like it allowed us a lot more free time um, for the past few months and. Um, so it's weird, like, ha- we recorded actually majority of these, like, five months ago. We're recording this Tuesday, March 21st. This comes out April 10th. Um, but we recorded these, like, five months ago, which it's kind of weird recapping what you did five months ago. But it's fun. Yeah, we'll see an, an episode get published, and then I'll be like, I do not remember that conversation at all. And then I'll listen to it <laughs> like it, like I'm a first-time listener. <laughs> You're like, well, that was good. Who Who made that? I was like, oh, my gosh, that was us. Okay, cool. Yeah, and I mean, I'm a lot less stressed on time and everything lately mm-hmm. um, because even now, I think, and I hope we do this in the future, where we're kind of balancing it out, where we're not trying to do too much, even at one time, yeah. where I think we're doing about two recordings a week now, which is so, Sometimes we'll do that. There are weeks that we have nothing, weeks that we have two, whatever it is, but yeah, I think our, our schedule's gotten a lot better. We got busy lives. I mean, do. and yeah, you uh, have bless our you have busy parent. in one way. I have a busy in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely true. And we got God. Well, we're both married. So God bless true. our wives. Yep. That's <laughs> very true. Yeah. Letting us do this. For no, two seriously. Years. God, please bless our wives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's not just uh that's not just uh we hope it's not like we, we, we need that because it's, D- it's, it's a big part of, of who we are. Don't thank us. Think uh, the audience should thank our wives for allowing oh, us to do this. So yeah, no, I agree. Yeah, we both have normal uh, paying jobs, and this is not one of them. Nope. Uh, we both have other stuff going on. You're busy. I'm busy <clears> with <throat> two little kids. And uh, but yeah, but yeah. We'll, so let's um, go. Let's go to the fun stuff. Yeah, definitely. So we what have, are we starting um, with? What are we starting with? We're gonna start. We're gonna do like block by block. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't. I don't know if we like if we talked about it as specifically during the episodes, but you guys probably probably felt or heard like differences between every few episodes. So we blocked them in about five batches or f- five episodes per batch ish, and we started with Fesco on Reformed Apologetics, which if I'm gonna do this purely based off memory, and I think that was October third that that came out, if I have that date right. Um, Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so that was our first episode, and that was just like kind of laying the groundwork. That was that episode was intentional on the front end because, A, Dr. Fesco wrote a book entitled Reformed Apologetics uh, or Reforming Apologetics, one of those two. Um, you could tell that we did this a while ago because I can't remember yeah. the book title's name. It was either Reforming or Reformed Apologetics. Reformed Apologetics, um, I believe. And that was with Baker, and he he just went through uh, mm-hmm. the reformed approach to apologetics, and not the 
like how would I say this? The um, the caricature of reformed apologetics. It's what did our reformers actually do? What they based off of? How, like what would they build? Um, how do they interact with non-believers? Um, what they pointed towards? That was a really kind of helpful, like jumping off structural episode. That was like that launched off the rest of our episodes. Like, hey, what we're doing for the next twenty-five or so episodes is structured off of this first episode. This is kind of our jump, jumping off point. And Dr. Fesco delivered big time. That was, that was a really fun episode. Yeah, it was a perfect episode to kick off the season. And <clears throat> he, did, he did a great job talking about everything and introducing <laughs> us to the season and yeah. then diving yeah. into specific stuff historically. <laughs> yeah. um, he's J.V. Fesco is a reformed superhero. You guys... Oh, yeah. You guys really should use, listen to him, read his books. He's meek and mild, but he's a powerhouse. Yeah, I, and he's so smart and articulate on really anything that you know comes to what we're talking about. So, speaking of you know, since we're starting from the beginning of season five, apologetics. Uh, what I kind of did, so it's fresh in our mind because we we're just talking about how long ago we even recorded this. So, so it's fresh on our minds for this conversation. I don't have to unpack everything, but I went ahead and did my best in the last couple of weeks to re-listen oh <laughs> to gosh. all of season five. But if you guys knew how much I drive, they would make a little bit more sense. And you're yeah. Like, okay, you're not too too crazy. You to, you, people want before you said you want to know a fun fun fact about Nick and I. Is I don't know if Nick's listened to every episode, but he's listened to a lot yeah. of them. I have never once listened to our episode ever. You should. And I will never do it. It's good. Do you know why? For the obvious facts of like, we only because well, I like I help edit them, so I I kind of listen to them, but I don't ever listen to the finished product. It's just it's too weird for me. Well, aside from re-educating ourselves, because sure. you can never hear something more too much that's helpful. <laughs> I um, can hear my voice too much, that's for darn sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm not doing it to teach myself something from myself. It's more of, I think, for me even, so we can learn from our mistakes too, because yeah. we do see your guys' comments sometimes, yep. and uh, I need to speak more clearly or louder, and... Peter needs to interrupt less. What do you mean? <laughs> so, so I do it to... I don't interrupt at all. I don't know what you're talking about. We could call it cut off. <laughs> <laughs> you're, too, you're too used to Southern California traffic where we cut each other off. This is true. That uh, was, no. that was, for those who are listening, that was a joke because I interrupted him and said, I yeah. don't interrupt you at all. Hopefully people got that. And he's like, he's a jerk. Yeah. But I'm a jerk. Yeah, sometimes, but, uh, no, it's, it's for like, I, I want to do better, but also, yeah. um, I don't have this formal education like even you have where I want to re-listen to this stuff and yep. it's different when, if you guys that host podcasts, you'll probably know what I'm talking about. It's one thing to kind of be live, do these yeah. conversations, you hear it. You don't and, really like listen to it when you're doing it. Yeah. You're doing the best you can because, but you got a lot going on and yeah. so you're trying to think your next question and you're, you're not, engaged like, in the conversation. Hmm? You're not like seeping into it. You're not just like enjoying it and relaxing. Yeah, yeah. You're not able to kick back, crack a beer, and just yeah. let it let it relax and listen to it. Especially not at six thirty in the morning. <laughs> no. <we> record it. <laughs> it's five o'clock somewhere. But yeah, no. It is. It's helpful sometimes to be play the audience and and listen to it. So, sure. With that said, I went um, 
if you guys ever want to binge listen, you oh, can boy. do 2x speed on <laughs> podcasts and just rip through them. Yeah. And I took notes. And anybody that knows me knows I like to take a lot of notes. So I even had a you little do? notebook. And I jotted down amazing things that our guests would say. And it's helpful to go back to. And JV Fesco gave me writer's block. He said so many good things. Uh, but I would say that is one of my favorite episodes yeah. of that season. He did, yeah. he did so good. And I think the biggest takeaway is historically, he explains the reformed, reformed church, reformed apologetics, reformed theology so well that we can, we can really have people that are new to it or reminders yeah. that, that, um, uh, you know, the Reformed Church is really pulling back to Scripture and got mm-hmm. early early church fathers that, uh, and pulling back to early church fathers that um, it's putting a lot, there's a lot of muscle on that episode of of helping defend uh, why we're Reformed Christians. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And so yeah. To, to scoot this episode along so we're not spending yeah. 30 minutes per episode, but yeah. we'll go to Old Testament next because if you guys notice kind of a transition, we went from... Um, so I'll, I'll give an overview. We went from the overview episode to Old Testament to New Testaments to what do we do after that? We did worldview, or no, we did religions, mm-hmm. and then we did kind of like philosophical cool. yep. stuff, yep. and then we did kind of big ticket questions for Christianity. I think those were the big categories, yeah, in general. Yeah, we kind of um, yeah ended up like what's in the cultural waters right now and how to respond to stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So um, yeah. Next was old Testament. We had a, a bunch of scholars on and, and that was um, both like trying to learn how we got our old Testament. Cause we have a clear idea in the new Testament, how we got it. And we have a less yeah. clear idea in the old Testament. And then especially around some like kind of hot topic issues on um, we didn't really kind of dig into it, but like a little bit on, um, like old earth, new earth and like the flood theories and, yeah. um, what happened in the Canaanite conquest Did Israel, yep. like wipe out these people. Is that like against, um, the law? So like, I think really helpful, um, issues that Christians and especially I think non-Christians, if a non-Christian thinks about the Christian faith and especially so the old Testament, we try to zero in on those topics on what do they think about when they think about the old Testament? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, it was a good, um, kind of all around explanation of how we got the old Testament. Yep. Uh, when it was written, how long mm-hmm. it was written, um, the languages, how they, uh, even with the Hebrew language over 1000 years, uh, Casper's Oslins went into this just, Oislin, what however you said his last name. Oislin. Oislin. Oislins, yeah. Um the the even the original language yeah. changes in dialect over time. So you can yep. you can tell the the they can tell. We can't really do it. We're not but um the, the people that are, like when I read, yeah, when I read the Hebrew, like I can tell you can definitely tell the difference between newer construction, older construction, different syntax, and even the same book. You could like Genesis is a big one because Genesis effectively like one through 48. And I know people like I'm generalizing a big time, but like uses relatively similar Hebrew. Once you get to Genesis 49 and especially kind of the prophecy around Judah, 
it's just not the same language that you get everywhere else. And so you kind of mm-hmm. have to like a lot of we call like critical scholars and they'll call them redaction critics. Those who are trying to kind of pick apart the Bible into its different parts. will look at this. And I thought Casper, like you said, did a, did a great job on just the, the evolution of the language does not mean the Bible evolved. It just means the, the, the language evolved and people were writing that language. Therefore yeah. what looks like evolution um, we're not talking about like theistic evolution or anything like that, but just evolution of language is not actually evolution of thought. It's just evolution of language. That's right. Yeah. And to kind of go over it a little bit quicker uh, of that category, Stephen Chapman explained yep. how we got the old Testament. That was fantastic. Yeah. That was that very was really high level. I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, a little more on the academic side, but I think that'd be really helpful for people who are trying to figure out, to make heads or tails on like authorship, all that stuff and like how it was put together and everything. Yeah. Cause obviously it didn't happen in a vacuum. It happened yep. over the course of 1400 BC to 400 BC, uh, multiple authors, uh, human authors over mm-hmm. generations of time, obviously one solid author of the Holy spirit. But, um, also the whole old Testament episodes that we had to really explain the context that they were reading that the yep. author was writing in the first time readers were were uh, hearing it or listen or reading it or listening to it um, orally even um, hyperboles, yep. why things are said this certain way and lower text textual criticism. Um, yep. So why things are said this certain way based on textual criticism and um, also proving the reliability of these ancient scriptures of how many manuscripts there are. So it's defense of the reliability of the Bible, what's going on in the world at the time, just historical facts uh, yeah. of, of everything going on. And I think like the episode after Stephen Chapman's, how did we get the old Testament? Uh, the Tremper Longman, the flood one was very edifying. I'm still, <laughs> I don't know as much as, you uh but i'm still not fully convinced on the uh taking a regional it's okay we'll let the holy spirit work on you for a little bit longer yeah i mean i still am like okay until i'm fully convinced i'm just gonna assume global but there's some great reasons why they say yeah and they're not like and that's the thing where a lot of these things we'll move on to new testament pretty soon but a lot of these like old testament new testament issues um I think people think that these scholars are playing fast and loose with scripture and especially like conservative scholars are like, Oh, they don't really believe in the reliability and inspiration It's like, no, they're, they're just trying to read the author, which you can call like his thought world and the people that he was writing to obviously under the inspiration of the Holy spirit. So it's infallible and it's inerrant, but he also wrote it in a specific time in a specific cultural context to a specific cultural people, but also it transcends that cultural people to all cultures but in order for you to understand it better and to know how this affects me and my culture, you have to understand their culture first and then transfer it over to your culture. So it's not like it can't transfer over or that it's choppy, but you do have to know a little bit about the background. I think they did a great job of laying that foundation. Yeah. And the key terms um, for that episode was uh, that they were ancient near Eastern studies of yep. this stuff. So yep. which we um, read a ton which is again helps me a little bit because we read just a ton of ancient Eastern texts and inscriptions and stuff at Westminster. And so it's it's helpful when you're trained in this. And I'm not saying people who are not trained don't have 
the right to do it. But it's just you can get to your conclusions a little bit faster mm-hmm. when you do have the training like they do and, and like like I had at Westminster where you do see some of the similarities. And that doesn't mean the Bible's copying these other texts, which I think they said pretty well. They're they're just using that thought world of these texts to um to give the people the word of God because that's the only thought world that they had. Yeah. Yeah, and then the the next episode with Charlie Trim on Old Testament issues, really talking about uh, recapping his book about the uh, Canaanite uh, issues and uh, answering the question, like, do people think that a God was committing genocide and was he an angry, bad God in the Old Testament? And then all of a sudden he turned to be a good God in the New Testament, that kind of argument. Um, and and exp- walking through what was going on again, uh, context, hyperboles, um, and you know, just the just the the explain the sovereignty of God and and how things happened in the Old Testament for uh, negative, bad things and good things. Yeah, yep, totally. Yeah, what I think we sh- we should do is yeah. I don't have the episode sheet in front of me, so name off the episode, and we'll each give like a little snippet for what we liked yep. a lot about that episode. So that's and that's what I have in front of me too. Yeah, cool. So what's so, what's the next one? So that the next one is my favorite of the Old Testament lineup, <clears throat> which <clears throat> would be the Casper's Ozolins one. Okay. Yeah. And then after the Casper's Ozolins, and by the way, his. He totally, and I think you'd um, take this as a compliment. He totally nerds out hardcore. Oh yeah, on- we told them beforehand to nerd <laughs> he, out. There's sometimes we'll tell a guest like, "Hey, let's keep this kind of like sh- not surface level, but like easy to digest." We told him like, "No, like go for it, go for it." Yeah, uh, he took a very what would seem to be a boring subject and made it uh, because of his passion and knowledge. Yeah. He made it really exciting, and it was really can we trust the Old Testament Old Testament manuscripts? Yep. So he goes into um, textual criticism, which is lower criticism. Um, and then um, uh, really good little nuggets of information in there. He even yep. recited the beginning of the Lord's Prayer in what you would think would be a totally different language. It was actually English from like a thousand years ago. And you wouldn't oh, yeah, Middle it. English. Yep. So he shows how even languages evolve yep. and, and change. Um, totally, yep. And then following that, we jump right into the New Testament, talking to Michael Kruger. How did yep. we get the New Testament? This was probably my favorite episode of all of season five. Cool. Um, yeah, it's it's hard to describe because with like kind of the Ehrman hypothesis, and Dr. Kruger was a student of Ehrman. Yeah. Um, but he just so well <clears throat> describes kind of the chicken and egg situation. Did the church like kind of gather up all the manuscripts together and say, <clears throat> you know, all heretics, we're going to kick you out. We're going to take out your stuff and we're going to put all the stuff we want because we want the political power. And Kruger's like, no, that, that's not what happened is they recognized the old, the New Testament manuscripts. And a lot of it had to do with the Old Testament because they already had the Old Testament. So they looked at the New Testament and this already agreed with the Old Testament. <clears throat> they started cross-checking with each other. Mm. And we have the... Uh, the formation of the New Testament canon, where it's not like, how do I say this? Um, each New Testament author, and Dr. Kruger says this, are intentionally crafting spirit-inspired, and they're 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 conscious that they're writing spirit-inspired scripture. It's not just like one day, two hundred years later, somebody picks it up. It's like, oh, this is scripture. It's like they they're conscious, they're conscious of what they're writing, what they're doing. Um, and it was the thermostat versus the thermometer. 
It's oh yeah, um, I love that. That was that was which was our <laughs> intro, and I think that was a you guys can listen to that episode on how he makes that contrast and and how that relates to the New Testament documents. Yes, yeah, he because he's saying the um, the church is a thermometer. It's yep. responding and reacting to scripture, not the other way around. It's not a thermostat which yeah. sets the temperature. Right. So that's what the Roman Catholic Church, I believe, yep, from, uh, would kind of flip it. Um, where the church over is uh, has more authority yeah. than scripture. We say scripture has uh, more authority over the church. Yeah. Scripture creates the church. The church does not create scripture, which again is a very, very broad way of kind of defining Protestant view of scripture versus Roman Catholic view of scripture. Mm-hmm. And I think he did a great job of doing that. Yeah, and of course he goes over the typical... Like eight, like um, the dating of of scripture. Uh, uh, the New Testament's all written uh, in a way shorter amount of time uh, compared yeah. to the Old Testament. Um, and he talks about like the later texts of of these uh, other gospels that aren't in the canon and why they're not in the canon. Yeah, which and, I've read and they're really weird. odd. Yeah. And so he explains that because uh, people are like, well, "Why are these twenty seven books?" In yeah. the New Testament, why isn't the Gospel of Thomas not in there and that kind of stuff? Yep. Totally. Um, the next episode was with Peter Gurry and Elijah Hickson, uh, New Testament New Testament textual criticism, which is pretty much a New Testament version, a yep. conversation of what um, Casper Zoslins did. Yep. Um, really good episode. Um, I think the most feedback we've gotten on almost any episode that we had, because we had YouTube comments, we had Twitter comments on that episode. Mm. Um, that was... I, we chose that title. I chose that title very specifically because that's the exact wording that uh, Dr. Bart Ehrman uses is there's 400,000 mistakes in the New Testament. And uh. they went to task on that claim because Ehrman knows what he's saying. And they talk about that in the episode. He's making an arguments by omission, not by commission. Right. Um, he He's... Uh, Four hundred thousand, and you guys, you guys, can listen to that episode when it come. Like, if you haven't listened already, listen to it already. Um, but it's not four hundred thousand of like he changed Jesus for Paul or anything like that. It's there was a comma in a different place or slightly different word order. Um, but what I thought Gurry and Hickson did so well in that episode is the fact that we know that those are manuscripts differences means we know what the original manuscript said because you wouldn't know what the difference was unless you knew how to reconstruct the original. And it was such a good episode of reorienting um, what we know about the New Testament. Yeah, and that you were mentioning the title of the episode, and I, I'm glad you brought that up because there's something I want to clarify, talk about on on this episode is we did something, or I didn't say we, I say it we because only the co-host but you you titled the episodes differently than all the other episodes from other seasons so what what was your thought process and you you hinted at that with the four hundred thousand thing yeah was it kind of like baiting a new audience to a little bit it was it was two parts it was number number one is i crafted the questions based off of questions i've heard about Mm. christianity or questions i've had about christianity or questions i've friends have had who are non-believers and believers. Um, but also like, I wanted to be a little more provocative, especially for apologetics and say like, we think about these questions too. And we're trying to answer this question or at least talk about this question, not just like, Oh, new Testament criticism in general, but like, we want to talk about, um, 
like, are there 400,000 mistakes or that like those, those uh, kind of hot button issues that we mm-hmm. wanted to kind of hit head on. Yeah. Cause you know, our audience and us would see some of the questions as the titles of the, these episodes and, and give an obvious answer. Yeah. Like, well, of course, or of course not, or whatever. Yeah. But I think somebody but that's never real seen questions our, that people ask. Yeah, somebody that's never seen our show before would be thrown off too. Some of them, like, uh, not to zip ahead, but like even for example, the Mormon one. Yep. Is <laughs> are Mormons Christian? Uh, they would see him be like, well, oh, maybe this is uh one for talking about how they are, and then they'd be like, oh, quickly find out, like, no, no, or yeah. the the one about um Allah, you know, too. So. Yep. Yeah, it, it did probably a good job of and maybe getting a new audience too. So don't totally. if if you guys are kind of like having a hard time digesting the uh, the titles questions, um, d- don't get too hung up on that. It was no. probably for rhyming a reason for him to. Yeah, I'm try- I am trying to be a little provocative. There's no question about that, but I'm also asking questions that I know are asked about the Bible and about the Christian Christian faith. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Chuck Hill did the next episode, How Did the Church Choose the Gospels? So he's talking about Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That was another uh, provocative question that I asked, because the church did not choose the Gospels. The Gospels created the church. But that's, yep. that's uh, we'll get there. Ah, yeah, play on words. So Play on words. Um, that's my provocativeness. Yeah, that was a, that was a good one. Um, and he's he's the dude. He's written... Oh, three books that I know of on the gospel witness, on the composition of the gospels, on writing the gospels, on choosing the gospels. Um, if you, if if our audience wants to learn anything about the the process of choosing the gospels, you have to read Chuck Hill. Um, he's he's the he's the guy, and I think that was a. I thought that was a very. Um, lay level appropriate introduction to the issue it was not too heady i thought it was not too scholarly i thought it was just right yeah i know i wouldn't even have time to uh read off all my notes i took on that one but uh yeah it's it's obviously talking if you guys have questions or want to learn more about the four specific gospel accounts uh or what we're taking out like what we're specifically by the church said no that is not a gospel an inspired Mm. gospel account Mm -hmm. because those are also big too gospel of mary gospel of thomas oh right um which he talks about as well which those get big press when like new fragments are found or whatever it is um, Mary Magdalene being the wife of Jesus is in one of those like mm-hmm. false go- false gospels. So that's, that's a helpful episode to listen to. Yeah, and he gives some some uh, historical context of what's going on in the time, and then outside of scripture, um, maybe credibility to uh, even even uh, outside the outside of the Bible. Uh, writings that give credibility to the uh, reliability of the gospel yep. accounts. Yep. And um, and so his episode was a little bit more narrowed, focused uh, on those mm-hmm. four gospel books. Uh, it, it's very com- uh, it's similar to Kruger's episode, where yeah. his is more of just the whole New Testament. But he says a lot of the, he repeats a lot of the same yep. stuff that Kruger said. They're very similar fields. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then we go into Michael Bird's The Divinity of Jesus one. That was where uh, <laughs> I was in. Off on a bag, which <laughs> we were both like, we both looked at each other when he began that episode. I was like, oh, is this how this episode's going to go? <laughs> Surprise for all of us. I that did not know. My, that, was, that, was, that was a really good episode. You had, you had to dip out because you, like, you were having your freaking kid at the, like that episode. Elijah was being born. Like I think a few hours after that episode, Not, that none we of us know that, knew that was going to happen because uh, sometimes uh, the uh, birth of your child doesn't come on the due date. This, we all this know. is true. <laughs> That's true. Um, so yeah. yeah, I was in a separate room. We had a long time before. Yeah, quite a bit of time later in that night he was born. But still, you want to be there uh, and support. Yeah, so, this one I, I was part of the episode. I, I think I'd like. You were part of like the. First, first like, a little bit, and then yeah, and yeah. then I I ended it out. And um, if you if anybody wants stuff on the historical Jesus, and ever that's like one of those questions people ask, like, well, of course Jesus was historical. Um, but to be flat honest, like that was not the scholarly opinion up until like the sixties or seventies. Was a lot of people kind of questioned his historical veracity, whether he was a historical mm. person, and then beyond that was was he was he God. Um, and that was the big thing that 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 Dr. Bird, which he has devoted his entirely his entire scholarly life to Jesus's divinity, especially with um, if you if people have read any like Greek myth. So if you've read like Homer, uh, Virgil, any one of those like 700 BC to like 400 BC kind of Greek poets or Greek writers, divinity for them was like on a spectrum. It was like you were either more divine or less divine. And so a lot of people look at the Jesus like, oh, he's really divine, but he's not God. Like he's not sovereign over all things. And and Dr. Bird put that to rest and says, no, he's he's not just he's not he's not a degree of divine more than people. He is a categorically different divinity categorical different divinity than anything else. It's not somewhat divine and then he's really divine. It's he is sovereign and God and divine. And everything else is not, which I thought was a, a really helpful distinction that he made. Yeah, I uh, obviously re-listened to that episode to see what I missed. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, we I did the first half of the episode, so I was familiar with that. And then um, he does kind of go, he even dips into the Old Testament. Oh, that's true. Yep. Talking about the reliability of Christ being divine and mm -hmm. being god and mm -hmm. he did really rely on you know psalm 110 yep. was the john 316 of the old testament yeah and That's talking cool. about daniel 7 as well um and uh, just uh, also that uh, christ was begotten in his humanity uh, unbegotten in his divinity yeah oh he also he talked about the um because he's also a little bit of like a patristic historian so i think he also brought up some church fathers and um, apostolic fathers and, and their um, their writings on and Christ divinity as well. I mean, there's I forget exactly who he brought up, but some writings from very 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 early on in Christian history attesting to Jesus's divine divinity. Plymouth the Younger. Um, he mentioned him. Plenty of the Younger, you mean? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, he mentioned him. Um, yep. Maybe. Maybe I think you might have else. mentioned like Irenaeus and Tertullian or a few other like yeah. kind of first, first or second century people, Polycarp, all those guys. Mm -hmm. 
then from there we got into the Lacona Habermas yep. episode. Did Jesus really <clears throat> raise from the grave? Mm-hmm. A fantastic episode. And if you guys look up uh, even just Habermas, he is a theological powerhouse. Both are theological. And so is Lacona. Lacona yeah. actually debates like I was about to say, yeah, Herman. He debated. He's debated Ehrman a few times yeah. that I that I know of. Yeah. So he's like he's in the thick of exactly that question. That's that mm-hmm. is again what both of them have devoted their scholarly lives to. Um, and and again, they both come out to the evidence we have both inside the Bible and outside the Bible points to the fact that Jesus has indeed risen from the dead because they. they I think they talked about the minimal if i remember it right like the minimal kind yeah. of evidence theory like approach and then most like, common the, denominator yeah, argument yeah exactly i was kind of remember <clears throat> yeah. how they described it yeah but it's with the least amount of evidence can you still secure um the hypothesis and they said yes with the least amount of evidence with the least amount of things that we could possibly do it we can still with i forget what he said but like a high degree of certainty um, say that yes, Jesus did rise from the dead, and what the gospel accounts say is historically verifiable. Yeah, he said evidence is overwhelmingly positive for exactly. the evidence yep. of the resurrection. I thought that was um, great. Yep. And um, and if if G- and, and as we know as Christians, that is like the jugular. Yep. The core. The resurrection yeah, of Christ. Yeah, Jesus is not some like just good moral teacher who just got a moral platitudes yeah. and all that stuff. It's if he didn't raise from the dead, then like we got nothing. It First Corinthians fifteen. So yeah, First Corinthians uh, fifteen one through three. Yep. Yeah, and uh, if if he did raise from the dead, he they're like they said game set match Christianity won. Yep. It's no other religion or worldview yeah, can compare. <laughs> It's not like we just rose up the ranks a little bit and we can kind of like fight with the big dogs. Like, no, it's everything else has to bow down the knee to, to Jesus if he rose from the dead. And they said uh, some of the examples of some of the best um, uh, evidence or uh, ar- positive arguments for the resurrection is the appearance to the 12 disciples the, and an appearance to the 5,000. And, um, and then there's just also objective, historically strong evidence of the resurrection. So you guys really should, I would say because of the subject Oh yeah. alone, not alone. I mean, not to, uh, th- th- those two guests are like powerhouses and the subjects on resurrection. Um, I would say that episode for the new Testament studies would be my favorite. Okay. Yeah. I thought it was pretty, yeah, I, I yeah, it, it is, it is right next to me to, to Kruger for sure. Yeah, and um, the la- uh, the final episode for the New Testament stays with John Percival. Did Paul really write all thirteen epistles? Yep. yep. And I was correct that it's twelve because thirteen is if you add in Hebrews. Hebrews. Yep. Yeah. So hey, you didn't really because a lot of people think that Paul wrote That's Hebrews. True. So hey, That's why not? Like, and I don't mean to be a jerk <clears throat> to those who think that he wrote Hebrews, but like it's and again, I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm I'm trying to say this in, in all humility because I don't know everything, of course. Um, if you can read Greek, there's just, I'm, I'll just be honest. There's just, I, I can't, unless, unless Paul used a, a person, like a, a, what they call it, a menuensis, which is a secretary who actually writes down what you say. Um, it is just so different than all of his other epistles, just writing style wise. Um, but yeah, yeah, other than that, that, um, Percival, which again, this is a big kind of critical historian view of, 
Paul's epistles is I think most critic, and I don't know if Dr. Percival talks about this, and I don't remember if he talks about this in the episode, but I think most critical historians conservatively give Paul like three letters. And then ten hmm. of them, they're pretty sure he didn't write. They'll call it like the Pauline school, mm-hmm. where people who agreed with him but was not actually Paul. But he comes to know all twelve were written by Paul, and it's not just like him. Like, oh, I really wish it. But he's he's a Greek scholar. He's a Paul scholar. His focus is on the pastoral epistles. This is what he's devoted his scholarly life to. He's not just like making stuff up. He's he knows his stuff. Yeah. I, even with the subject of Hebrews, uh, it's probably clear that somebody was influenced by Paul. Oh, yeah, for Hebrews. sure. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, they didn't write their name down. Like when you're in no. school and you're like, you didn't put your name on your homework. <laughs> no, just kidding <laughs> yeah. aside. That's, uh, they just didn't true. do that back. That wasn't something that they actively I did. I mean, Paul, Paul would do it on his epistles. Yeah. He'd write like, I, Paul, wrote this in one of his epilogues or his prologue, which just means kind of the front or the back end of the letter. He'll say like, I, Paul, servant of Jesus Christ to Church of Galatia or whatever it is. And at the end, he'll talk to his benefactors and those he's sending the letters to, all that stuff. So Paul will usually do it, which is again... Yeah. Usually he's um, pretty the, clear. Yeah, which is one of the big reasons why um, I think a majority of people don't think that he wrote Hebrews, and I'm, I'm one of those who don't think he wrote Hebrews. I don't know who wrote it, but I don't think it was him. But you know what? <clears throat> Not to be cheeky, but who cares? The Holy yeah, Spirit. Yeah, I was about wrote to say, it. like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter who wrote it. You know, like we know that it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. We know that it's a, it belongs in Scripture. Yep. Not only that, it's a powerhouse book. Oh, yeah. in Scripture. Yep. <clears throat> um. Anyway, so uh, he also talked about you know just the background of Paul. Paul yep. is a first century Jew, a fa- trained Pharisee. Uh, he's also a Roman citizen. Mm-hmm. Um, those kind of things. I've always loved the background of Paul um, and the fact that you could see God even before he was converted, why he had him providentially in his previous Pharisee life, trained so well as a Roman citizen. Those things played well, a trained, huge he was part. A trained as, yeah, he was a trained of Pharisee. He, was like, mm-hmm. he, he, had the, he had the Old Testament essentially memorized. And I think his his father was Roman. Paul's father was Roman and his mother was Jewish. I don't think it's, I think Paul says that acts like 21. Hmm. I have my reference, right? Cause he's arrested. I forget by who. And then he appeals to the soldiers to appeal to Caesar or the governor and says, Hey, would you arrest a Roman citizen? And they're like, Oh shoot. No, we shouldn't do that. Right. And I think he got that from his dad. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this is, that could be, people might be like, no, this is better. And I, I'm shooting from the hip. I, I think that's what it, the case is. Well, what's clear though, is his background plays a huge part after his conversion. Yep. I mean, just knowing the old Testament so well, Yep. his brilliance in writing yep. <clears throat> and then um, being a Roman citizen. So those things after he was converted weren't erased. No, God used them for strength to, uh, for him being such a main, like a huge yep. author in the new Testament. So yep. huge, huge human author. So, uh, check that one out guys. Uh, the, uh, Paul or John, first of all, also talks about like the new kind of the new perspectives on Paul, what's culturally going on right now, the arguments against like people yep. are trying to pit Paul against 
you know, Jesus and the new mm-hmm. perspective on Paul and maybe um, some other. He's not a new perspective guy, if people are wondering. Yeah. And then, like talking about how jo- Paul mm-hmm. like looks at justification and grace and, yep. and uh, the apocalyptic Paul and those kind of things. So, which I'm not like, he's not against, I'm not <clears throat> against necessarily, but if you go too far in apocalyptic Paul, you start playing with justification. Yeah. So that was the New Testament studies part of our season. Um, so, so far, I really like JV Fesco's to kick it off. Then I liked Casper uh, Zazelin's and then I, in the Old Testament. And then for the New Testament, I really liked the uh, resurrection one. What was yep. your favorite one in the – oh, you already told me. Kruger's yeah, for Kruger. the New Testament. Yep. Um, so now we start getting into more of <clears throat> other – Talking to people the outside the faith, other religions, other worldviews. Well, the views. people weren't outside the faith, but we talked about religions outside of Christianity. Oh, yeah. No, the good clarification. Our guests are always still Christian, but yeah. we um, now we're addressing other worldviews, yeah. other, other religions. With experts of those worldviews. Yes, that are Christian. Yep. Yep. And then we kicked it off with world religions with uh, Muck and Netland. Um. <clears throat> and that was a good overview of just quick snapshot of yep. what's going on in the world. Of, and then uh, talking about Buddhism, yep. Islam, um, a lot of Eastern religions. They didn't like then, the Eastern versus Western thing. They no, were very, which, which I yeah, agree with. No. Yeah. And that's, I think, um, yeah, a, a Western slash Christian um, kind of minimal, like we overgeneralize some things and we said, oh, East versus West. And they, yeah, they both said, no, there's not really an East-West divide, which was why we asked the question, because we know people are, are thinking these things, asking these things. We're like, well, Christianity is a Western religion, and all these others are Eastern. I was like, well, actually, Christianity is an Eastern religion that moved West and is still actually dominant in the East um, amongst all these other. But uh, I think that was a really helpful episode, just from like, how do you interact with people from other religious backgrounds and um, what are they going through? What are the questions that they're asking? Because they may not be asking the same questions that we ask of our faith. And then how do you like bridge that gap between two religious faiths? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, they're I not mean, thinking, they're not thinking that. And I think I forget who asked the question or how they responded, but they're most other religions aren't thinking in the terms of like sin and grace and salvation. They're, yeah. That's like, that's not in there. So we, if we Christians come into it, like you're a sinner, you need grace. Like they just don't even have the categories to think of sinners and grace. So you have to come into it with knowing their understanding of their religious faith, and then say, okay, this is this is what the Christian faith is, this is what Christ has said. This is the like the historicity of our faith, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some important things that I remember saying is, <clears throat> you know, Christianity. It, it's originally a, a Middle Eastern yep. religion. This isn't. Uh, Christianity existed before America, guys, and it's not. Yeah. It didn't originate in Europe. It's no from the Middle East. It's <laughs> originated, yeah, originated from a lot of brown Palestinians. It's, yeah, it's not our. This is not like our kind of cultural ground. It started off uh, obviously in Israel, but then it quickly went to the Gentiles, um, like yep. with Paul and all that. And then it really first, I mean, it's touched. Africa really yeah, it's spread in Africa and Rome first, and then after ye- I mean, mo- I mean, not decades, millennia, but like hundreds of years, then it spread to the West officially. That's right. That's right. And then <clears throat> I remember them talking about uh, interest. I never thought about this, but um, we know that Buddhism is 
kind of growing in popularity in the West yeah. and in America. It is. With but they're like saying the Buddhism in a, in the West and in America is kind of different. And it's definitely yep. different from the original Buddhism, where the one over here is mixed with science and New Age, yep. which makes sense. And the Buddhism, you know, in the East right now is a little different than that. And and then they just talked about how other religions aren't just one big happy family within themselves. There's yep. still divides and disagreements and debates among them. Yep. And um, a lot of it has to do with like knowing your cultural context yep. when you're talking totally. to people from certain religions. <clears throat> yep. Hey all, this is Peter, one of the co-hosts of the Guilt, Grace, Gratitude podcast with a word from one of our sponsors, our title sponsor at Logos Bible Software. Have you gotten your free book of the month from Logos yet? Join tens of thousands of believers who build their library with a free new digital theological book each and every month. Then read it on the free Logos Bible study app. Logos is the easiest to use, most powerful Bible study tool on the planet. You heard that right, on the planet. It works on mobile, the web, and even has an amazing app for your laptop. I myself use the mobile app every night to read from the Hebrew, the Greek, and a few other resources. I love it. I've used other apps, and this is the best one on the market. It really truly is. And if you want to go even deeper, you can choose from a vast selection of the top books for in-depth Bible study. There's also step-by-step videos to help you learn how to study the Bible like a pro. So get your free book of the month today. Go to logos.com slash guiltgrace and get started with Logos today. We have this link in our show notes. So just open up our podcast, find our show notes, click this link, and you can get started with us with Logos Bible Software. As you probably know, we talk a lot about Westminster Seminary, California on here. I can't even begin to tell you the impact this institution has had on my faith, my family, and the ministry the Lord has entrusted me with. If you feel called to serve the church and want the most rigorous training for gospel ministry around, consider coming to Westminster Seminary, California, a confessionally reformed institution in sunny San Diego that offers master's degrees in biblical and theological studies, historical theology, and divinity. Westminster's approach to ministry education emphasizes a mastery of the original biblical languages, maintaining a small student-to-professor ratio, a laser focus on face-to-face education coupled with an understanding of the importance of having pastor scholars with decades of ministry experience train the next generation of servant leaders for the Church of Jesus Christ. If this interests you, and I hope it does, call Westminster today at 888-480-8474 to talk to an admissions counselor or visit www.wscal.edu. Again, call Westminster Seminary California today at 888-480-8474 or log on to www. WSCAL.edu, which will all be available in our show notes. Westminster Seminary, California, for Christ, His Gospel, and His Church. Are you a student who's looking to go deeper into classical Protestantism and our theological heritage? What about a pastor who wants some sharpening of his theological, exegetical, and historical toolboxes? 
Are you a lay person who's looking for theological wisdom? Maybe you're an educator looking to lay a classical foundation in theology. The Davenant Institute seeks to retrieve the riches of classical Protestantism to renew and build up the contemporary church. And key to this mission is their educational arm, Davenant Hall. In an age where much theological education both overlooks the riches of church history and keeps students in debt, Davenant Hall is reimagining theological education. They take full advantage of digital technology to make high-quality theological education affordable via online classes. Davenant offers an MLIT in classical Protestantism with the standard and pastoral ministry tracks and a brand new PhD program in partnership with Union Theological College and Davenant Hall supervisors. Yet they insist that in-person fellowship is key to Christian formation. So to that end, they host regular residentials at the Davenant House Study Center in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountain region of South Carolina. Registration for spring 2023 classes running April to June are now open, but registration closes March 29th. Fees start at just $225 for a 10-week class with a two-hour Zoom class from expert professors each week. Classes include the Reformation in the Modern World, a Biblical Theology of the Sexes, Augustine's City of God, and so many more. These classes look incredible. Visit www.davenanthall.com to find out more or www.davenantinstitute.org for more information about the whole organization or go to our show notes and click on the link. Um, the episode after that is... Oh, yeah, one of my favorites, too. Uh, Adriel Sanchez. Oh, yeah. Um, why should I be a Christian? Why should I be a Christian? Absolutely yeah. nails, like, the gospel and just speaking to people that wouldn't be a Christian, like, explaining in a very brass tacks way, but deep way. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stay pretty silent. So I'm just going to tell people to listen to it. I, I don't yeah. want to say much about it. <laughs> yeah. the, I think... I'm going to let him do the heavy hitting. The... The letter to Diognetus that he wrote, read out loud was awesome. Yeah. I just and, go listen to that episode. Don't listen to me. <laughs> and he also did say some practical advice, and then I'll move on, is um, if you did have to, like, obviously somebody should read the whole Bible, but if you're just, yeah. like, want to start somewhere, oh, yeah, Gospel read John. John. Read John. Yeah. Read the Gospel of John. Um, and then we moved into Bill McKeever. Mormonism. Yep. I yep. personally absolutely love this one. This one was a sleeper for me. I would like, I'll be honest, there's some episodes, and I'm sure you're the same way. Like, I don't expect all that much. Not like I don't think they're smart, right. but it's like, it's just not a topic I've like looked into all that much. Right. And he blew my mind. That <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. This one's good. Uh, yeah. I have a personal kind of vendetta to. I do apologetics against Mormons. Yeah. So I absolutely apologetics with Mormons, not against Mormons. Right. And then, (laughs) yeah, I, this is one of my episodes that I like to, uh, copy the link and share with a lot of people. This is, yeah, I, I, I gotta agree with you. I like, I came into like, not like I I was the one who scheduled with Bill, but I was like, Oh, is this, is this really going to be like a good episode? Am I going to learn a lot? Are people going to learn as he kept going? I was like, 
this guy is encyclopedic. Like he he knows oh, the man. Mormon Bible better than the Mormons know their Bible. <laughs> yeah. By the end of the episode, you're gonna be like, "Holy cow! That's not that re- Mormon religion is not even recognizable no. in any way to Christianity." No. Um, you got to define. Like that's why I asked the question, and like yeah. I, I tried to be provocative. Are Mormons Christians too? Because I think your average everyday Christian <clears throat> cannot tell the difference between Mormons and rank and file Christians. And I think a lot of Mormons don't know the difference either. And so they're like, oh yeah, we're Christians too. Um, and so I think it was a helpful episode of like, no, they're not just like Christian light and then real Christianity, but it's two completely different religious faiths. Well, and they, they used to, um, Mormons used to be okay with that distinction. And we're like, we're not Christian. Now, recently they've been yeah. uh, jumping on to like, we want, we're just an evangelical denomination. Like, yep. nah, you're, you don't believe in the same Jesus. No, not you at all. Don't no, believe in the same Trinity. Yep. You're a works, works based religion. Yep. And uh, it's heretical yeah. on so many fronts, like trying to, uh, they're essentially saying we can become a, yeah. a God, God. I think, yeah, they pray against Christians who don't know their faith very well. And so to your average, Again, everyday Christian who might go to a, kind of a big kind of prosperity gospelist church and don't really hear solid doctrine every single week and don't know their faith all that well, to your average, I, I think untrained Christian ear, um, that might like that might not be too different than what they think the Christian faith is. And it's we're trying yeah. to say in that episode, no, it's it's very different. That could explain. Uh, I've had some short-lived, <laughs> debatable conversations with mormons i think they kind of move on yeah don't want to talk to me very much yep <laughs> but uh after that episode we went to gene vaith's post-christian mm-hmm. uh episode and it was really cool because if you like carl truman like us you're gonna love that episode yeah he's it's very, very much similar like, flavor yep totally. mm-hmm. what's going on in the world today how did we get here with the french revolution yep. the enlightenment 9 11 all oh, that yeah. stuff, that's right. uh, Marxism, how that's all, uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, how that all stuff, Nietzsche, Nietzsche uh, compiled in where we are today from 1789, yep. 1989, and 2001 being pivot, pivotal yep. years. Yeah, that was that was helpful. Yeah, how do we? I think there's a push. You've you've seen this, and I think you felt this. I felt this. I've seen this. There's been a push of like Christians going to like little Christian enclaves, and how do we live in this world? And I think he he very um, winsomely and faithfully presented a case for Christians living in this world and how do we live in this world um, as faithful Christians. Yeah, that was a good one. I won't go too much more into it just because it was uh, it's very it's we're starting to kind of get in more philosophical conversations yep. and uh, these were intentional too. Yeah, they're pretty deep. So get into that one. That's a Carl Truman ish type of episode. Good. Yep. And then we kind of go back, uh, kind of mix other worldviews, religions, and philosophy together. So the next episode after that was, I absolutely love too, in the same vein as the Mormon one, um, uh, Dr. Ibrahim talked Mm -hmm. about um, the response to Islam, response to Muslims, answering your your question on the episode, is Allah the true one true God? And absolutely, this is such an incredible edifice. Like probably if you go on YouTube or podcast, like this might be the best arguments Against I think I think we're the only I I've I've scoured around maybe besides like the Southern Baptist official podcast and other things I think we're the only like Christian podcast that he's been on at least that I know of um, 
But it's, yeah, it is. He grew up in Egypt, in Cairo, Egypt, which is not just Muslim majority, but it is it is, it is a Muslim-run theocratic state. And so yeah. like, you cannot be, you can be, but you can't evangelize as a Christian, but you can meet as Christians, but you cannot evangelize as Christians. Um, and so he grew up around Muslims. He knows Arabic. He reads the Quran in Arabic. He knows he knows the faith system. Yeah. And it was also big for me, and you can tell, like, after this, um, for me what was really big was the difference between Western um, most mm. like Islam or Muslim faith, and then Eastern Muslims. That was that was a big aha for me. Yeah, the the kind of the cultural um, nominal Muslims yeah. that live in America are more open because we're a melting pot over here, open to other religions and having conversations, and yeah, and they love talking about politics and religion. And then you got more of the devout yeah. hardcore conservative ones were or be over the Middle East. That was also and before we go into that, that was that was surprising for me because in America, what are the three things you're told not to talk about <laughs> at the Thanksgiving table? Religion, politics, and like exercise or diet or whatever. Or I guess the top two things is you don't talk about yeah. religion and you don't talk about politics. Those right. are like the American like that's just what you don't talk about because you'll always argue. And he's like, those are the two things you always talk about in Muslim households is religion and politics. Like people love talking about that. I was like, man, people would be in like fights in America. Well, like we are in fights in America yeah. talking about these two things. <laughs> yeah. It was just such a it's such a different culture than ours. Well, and it's such an encouraging episode because to your point, uh he makes some like encouraging practical advice that these people aren't people to be scared of. No. Um and they're they're we all think uh, of them as like 9-11 terrorists, but that's not what that's not no, who they are. No, it's very that's a very tiny, unfortunate, loud yeah. group. But uh they they're probably gonna like to talk about they like to get right deep into the yeah. conversation, talk about religion and and they are very and he talked about a nice few people. like stories that he had with other people that he started conversations with. Yeah. And so he's he said is like befriend them just yeah. like anyone else and they're pretty easy to talk to and for the most part they're nice people but the biggest three topics that oh, they yeah, right. have a hard time understanding christianity with so you guys yeah. can have this in your back pocket they really need help understanding the trinity they yep. need help understanding <coughs> their inerrancy of uh scripture yep and they also need help understanding that jesus is god they mm -hmm. think that because he didn't have like a sentence in scripture that says, I am God, bow down and worship me, then, yep. then he didn't really say it. But Ibrahim like absolutely crushed how to answer those three topics. Because yep. um, the Bible does say, Jesus well, does I, say. I, I, I'm preaching through the Gospel of John right now. Um, every single narrative. No, he does not say, I am God. And what we think he, like, we, he doesn't say what we think he should say, but he says it everywhere. He Like, he... That's why he gets stoned. That's why people want yeah. to stone him. That's why they call him a blasphemer. He, like, they're very aware of what yeah. he's saying in the gospel, that he is not just making himself to be like, but it's like, yo, you just took on Yahweh's name on yourself. You're either a blasphemer or you're actually God. There's a reason why the Pharisees hated him so much. Oh, yeah. He said he was God in a very Jewish way. Yeah, oh, exactly. Yeah, totally. Yes. So he didn't say it in terms that we would want to hear it clearly today in our English translation. He didn't say no. it in an American way, which yeah. is kind of straightforward. He said it in the Jewish way. Well, which was hel helpful back then because the Pharisees knew the Old Testament really stinking yeah. well. And he, and, and he's saying it, answering their question totally. in a deeper, 
way. Totally. And yep. they're ticked about it. <laughs> so, uh, moving on to, um, the, the next episode, which was, we kind of go into a lot more philosophy. We yeah. have uh, Stephen Evans. Really, yeah. Religions, like religions into more philosophical questions. Yeah, the, the Stephen Evans, and then right after that, we did right. Doug Groot Heiss. Groot Heiss. Uh, yeah, they were back-to-back philosophy-type yeah. episodes. Um, they both talked about Kierkegaard uh, yep. a lot. Um, and He's a pivotal uh, figure in not American, but like Western philosophy. You guys should really study Kierkegaard. He has some good things to say. He's in the same vein as C.S. Lewis and Augustine. And even uh, Thomas Reed is another person that they mention uh, that you guys should look into. Uh, These are kind of like what post-medieval philosophers a little bit. Yeah. So um, Dr. Evans is a expert on Western philosophy more specifically and so he talked about the rise of philosophy from Aristotle up until not like Kierkegaard. He doesn't end on Kierkegaard, but he's kind of a he's a pivotal. And then Kant is also another pivotal figure. Mm-hmm. They're I mean they're very post medieval. They're um they're like Renaissance like, like they're transitional Renaissance figures. Yeah. Um. And then Grutheis is a little bit more on um kind of like where does Christianity fit in the philosophical spectrum? There we go. Um, I'm trying to think of a, like a way to say it. I think yeah, I, Evans is more history of philosophy. History, yep. And then Grutheis is more like, how does Christianity fit into it? Absolutely. That's a good way to put it. Because um, Grutheis talked about how to apply what he yep. knows about exactly. Christianity and philosophy together. Because even his wife, he talked about his wife passing away from dementia yep. and having the hope of the resurrection. That we know as Christians. And the hope is backed up by philosophical questions that Christianity can answer. Yeah. Yep. And then Stephen Evans <clears throat> talked more about what is the origin of philosophy or like yeah, origin how do we get to where we are in Western philosophy. Yeah, philosophical questions and constructs and categories. And um, <clears throat> he talks about the genesis of them and, and where they've come to, to now. Yeah. He talked about something that was cool. He said, uh, is that philosophy used to be about wonder. Now it's about doubt. Yeah. 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 And I'm reading, um, this will come out a few weeks before, but I'm in the middle of reading Joseph Minich's bulwarks of unbelief, um, from, uh, and I like, I'm saying it right now and I'll say it during the episode when we record him, that is the best book of the year. And that's going to win best of the book of the year by a long shot. It is fantastic. It's Truman. And I like, People are gonna think this is a heresy. It's better than Truman. Um, it is leagues above true. He's it's I can go on and on. But um he he builds the same case that uh Dr. Evans does um on the on the different questions that are asked in, in philosophical periods. Yeah. Which is great. Like it's yeah, it's it's um there's kind of firmer ground and then that ground is doubted post seventeen eighty nine. I mean, you can't really name a year. But French Revolution changed a few things just just by nature of what it was. Yeah, and they're both Groot Heiss and uh, Evans are very much appreciate Augustine as yep pretty much all of us do. Totally, that, yeah. I think Evans has done more work on Augustine. Yeah, and then Groot Heiss, I think, is just very appreciative of him. Well, and and what Augustine they mention him 
relying on him a lot is using faith uh, to support knowledge yeah. in the in the realm of philosophy. Yeah. So it's, you use your faith to get to knowledge. Yeah. It's uh, if you guys have ever heard the term, and I think the most gets credited to Anselm in the 12th century, but I think Anselm gets it from Augustine, which is faith seeking understanding. Yep. Versus understanding seeking faith, and that uh, it, there's more tributaries besides it, but it kind of it finds its beginning in Augustine. Yep. And I would one last plug about uh, Groot Heiss is if you're going through suffering yeah. or want to find some hope, and um, that's Read a him. good one. He yep. talks a lot about the meaning of suffering. He's through... got a big book on it too, on dealing with his wife's death. That mm-hmm. I would I haven't read yet, but I can imagine it's it's really it's really deep and, and good. Yeah, and he goes over the how Christianity covers the entirety of all 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 world views, yep. like what they ask. Mm-hmm. More than any other religion, so totally. uh, and and also they they both back up a lot the the intelligence of Christianity. Obviously, yeah. Uh, to be saved and understand the gospel, a child can do. It's yep. as simple as a child. But the depth of Christianity, um, um, uh, the theology is so deep that I mean, you could be, you know, have it answers all the philosophical questions, and you'd spend more than a lifetime plus eternity going. Yeah, through I'm everything. gonna butcher this this quote, and then Nick, you can move on. Um, okay. I think it's like it's shallow enough. I think the quote that I've heard oh. is shallow enough for a child to wade in. What's it easy? Deep, yeah, and deep enough for it's like an elephant to walk. I forget. Oh, there we people, go. Yeah, people know it. I don't know it. That's just my best guess. Yeah, shallow, not in a in a negative term, but shallow but is like the depth. Yeah, it's, it's simple it enough. And walk through. Yep. Yeah. Totally. Um, <clears throat> I'm looking through the lot in the next episode because that's where we leave off. So we might be at. Oh, then we go to. Uh, oh, what is a human by? Oh yeah, Joshua Rasmussen. So yeah. that was a that gets heavy philosophy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was that got into some deep waters, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is this is this is big. If you guys picture maybe in your college days, I won't say too much else about that, but if you're sitting on a porch hanging out with some friends, friends, and you get into a deep conversation, yeah, like what's life, and then yeah, you just go for it. That is where it went. It went in some <laughs> weird places. Yeah, but. <laughs> Dr. Rasmussen, and this is what is a human? And he mostly talks about, which I just read, um, in Charles Taylor. He sources of the self in Charles Taylor. Um, he, he kind of a little bit talks about this question. He, it's more historical and philosophical. Um, but Rasmussen talks about the the conscience. So the the book is is trying to trace where does your conscience come from? And mm-hmm. some people are like, well, of course, like everyone has a conscience, but you like again. We'd be surprised the scholarly community, the philosophical, the scientific community, and again, in, in general, thinks the conscience was created by not like by not conscience. Mm-hmm. And that's the question that Dr. Rasmussen really tries to go after is mm-hmm. can non-material or ju- can material things make conscience or work like where must conscience come from? Yeah. Which is again what makes a human a human is we have the ability to think and he uses first and third person. Yeah. Um, throughout the episode, we have the ability to think first person thoughts. Like, I'm the one thinking this, and you're the one, or he's the one, or she's the one. And it's like, we're the only ones who can think self critically, or we can reflect. Mm-hmm. And that comes from our conscience, obviously, being spirit of, spirit of God and image of God, all that stuff. But he's a little more like the philosophical question. Yeah. 
yeah, he answers the philosoph- philosophical question of what it means to pers- to say I'm an image of I'm an image bearer of God. Yeah, and I like it too. And this is one I think, and we you can do this for a lot. But I I think this one specifically, you can send to your non Christian friend, and I think it's going to challenge them. Um, because we don't really get into faith until really the end of it, because he doesn't really talk about faith in his book until the very, 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 literally the very last sentence of his book talks about that this comes from from God. Yeah. Um, but he just asks pure philosophical questions on is this possible, and I think you can send this to your non-Christian friend, um, and I think they'll be challenged. The where does the reflection of self originate from? Exactly. Yep, pretty much, pretty much that. And <clears throat> what what's difference? Be, what's different being a human versus an animal? And, yep. Um, so that that kind of that ends that category of more worldviews, other religions, and philosophy. Do you have a favorite from that category? I think we had one more. We had an elephant too. Uh, elephant was philosophy too. Was what do you? Oh yeah. What do you really believe? Yeah. Elephant yeah. was good. Yeah. Yeah, and elephant was. Um, for lack of a better term, presuppositional. Um, and so I think a lot of people have wondered about that as well. Well, I didn't put that one in this category because after the Rasmussen one, uh, it kind of goes into Oskinis's what, how oh, should yeah, I engage yeah, I with think culture? That, that's the one, yeah. that's I forget which category he was in. Yeah, I think Elephant was in the next one. But talking about the episodes from the category we were just explaining, um, there's some really neck and neck ones. I would have too hard of a time answering not that it was easy before but the bill mckeever mormon one the ibrahim islam one and the adriel sanchez one oh yeah i would have a hard time kind of picking between the three but then also the philosophical ones are like stuff that's just so unique and great conversations i've never really had before that yeah i wouldn't be i i would kind of have I wouldn't really know what to oh, pick from that and one. This is not to throw shade at anybody else. And this is this is just like me. I was most blown away by McKeever. Mm-hmm. Um I know least amount I know I know the least amount Mormons than anything else. And that was just helpful for me to learn. Um he again blew my mind. And then I thought Dr. Evans, C. Stephen Evans on the history of Western philosophy, um that was because he again, he's an expert. He teaches at Baylor. He's taught philosophy for years and years and years and years. He's so good at what he does, and he's so good at um, explaining it. And I thought pretty simple terms. Yeah, um, those are my two favorite from those two categories. Yeah, that's not to say the other ones were bad. Like again, they're very very close. But McKeever on Mormonism, just because it was like I just like I was just in awe of his knowledge of that was the, the whole time. That whole category is like not the any other category wasn't back to back great episodes, but this was like back to back to back to back bangers where I was oh, just yeah. like, I agree. Uh, I'd share with like, uh, this is what our season's all about with apologetics with one group of people. I'd yep. use Adriel Sanchez's to share with, with Mormons. I'd share McKeever's with yep. Islam. I'd share Ibrahim's and then any like atheist philosophical guy that thinks that Christianity's like, not like you, you could be, uh, there's smart people aren't believers. I would yep. fil- throw all those uh, philosophical ones at them and, and they'd be I like, agree. well, um, so, and then the next category kind of goes into like current world, like, like current cultural 
responses, yeah. main kind of stuff yep. that's going on. Yeah, that there. Like I said the difference between the one before was more philosophy in general, philosophical mm-hmm. questions, and then the next one was more uh, like a little bit more cultural moment, like cultural philosophies, current things that are going on. Yeah, um, current questions that are being asked, and that starts right off the bat with setting it up well. Is how should I engage with culture with Oz Guinness? Yeah, he's the- a monster in in this field. Um, he's extremely British, and so he is very yeah. to the point. You guys will you guys will know what I'm talking about when you listen to that. He doesn't like kind of add fluff to his answers. He just answers it and moves on to the next question. Um, but his first published book i think in the 60s was a critique of modern philosophy uh and you can tell he knows he he's not just like shooting for the hip it's like marxism and doesn't really like hasn't read marx but he's read all these other guys and so he like he knows what he's talking about yeah yeah he's been he's a well-known name he's been around a long time yes he's in uh related to the guinness family that started the beer but uh He is a well-respected, ecumenically well-respected name in Christian Christian theology. Yep. Um, So he's very. These are kind of like really practical episodes that you can listen to and start using right out of the gate. Um, I didn't um, get as much of a chance in these later episodes because they're more recent to now to to re-listen to as much to take notes. But I remember them fresh in my mind. Um, That one was powerful and then it mm-hmm. goes into the uh scott oliphant's one yep. what do you really believe yep this is the presuppositional and that's oh. becoming a hot word right now and a hot topic comes <clears throat> i mean Van, uh, cornelius van till who was a professor at princeton for like two years or a year and then moved to westminster philadelphia for the next 50 maybe a little bit less than that um, but he like really popularized the term presuppositional apologetics. And I think <coughs> Oliphant kind of like not changed it, but like maneuvered it to covenantal apologetics. He like didn't rename it, but kind of more specifically pointed it in a different direction. Um, but that was uh, when we believe things, when we think things, what are like, what are the underlying things below what we think? What are like, what, what are we not like mm. when we're saying something, what, like yeah. what lies below that statement? which is a really helpful question to ask yourself. And when you're talking to somebody else, not just in what they're saying to you is what they believe, but dig below the surface from what they believe to what they, like what, what, what builds, like what's the foundation of that, that statement that they just said. It's why do you believe what you believe? Yeah. Lower, even more deeply than what, what do you believe? And then why do you believe it? Yeah. And it's, you can believe something. And I think Dr. Sproul is famous for saying this as well. You can believe something that's just not livable. And Dr. Oliphant really pinpoints that. Is you can be a relativist, but then you can't live a relativistic life. Mm-hmm. Because you can't look at an, I think Dr. Spohl made this uh, example famous. You can't be crossing the road and then see a big semi coming at you at 60 miles an hour and say, like, that semi doesn't really exist. Oh, right. Because you're going to get hit and die. Because that thing's a real thing coming after you at real speed. And so relativism doesn't answer all the questions. So that's that's what Dr. Olfin, I think, does so well, is he says, okay, you can believe something, but do you actually live like you believe that thing? Um, which, again, is a, a question for Christians as well. Do we actually live, like, live what we believe? But it's also a helpful, um, uh, like a searching question for others as well. 
yeah, we have an inerrant um, instinct to know, based on natural revelation, what is some truth out there. And yeah. based on even what's realistic. So a lot of us would, would love a perfect utopia. Yeah. And, and we, we try to get that all the time, you know, scratching and clawing, engaging in politics, try to get a perfect world. But we know it's not going to happen until Christ comes back. Yep. But um, so going to the next one was um, this one was kind of a sleeper for me. You're talking about uh, sleepers. This one was with Julia uh, Sadusky. Oh, yeah. How, how should we talk about sex and gender? So um, I was there's a few times in our two and a half years of doing episodes where I'm like, I'm kind of nervous about going into this conversation. I don't know how it's going to go. And I think we did a really faithful, great job, and I was really impressed by her. Yeah, um, I was. Agreed. I was glad that she got on the air to flush out and clarify some stuff. And being yep. a Christian, mm-hmm. that's biblically, confessionally Christian, and she knows she, <clears throat> she agreed with Scripture with us. And but at the same time, it was like we know that every single human being is an image bearer that deserves. You know, just as a human being, they deserve dignity to talk to, and yep. and you should never turn them away from the church. They everyone needs to hear the gospel. Yep. That's pretty much what it came down to. But yeah, and it's and it's she's not, not excusing like, some things that totally, they might do. Yeah, and we had her on, and people <clears throat> could listen to her. She's she's great because she's she's a psychologist who's been in the field for 15, 20 years, I think, and then helps run at least two think tanks that I know of on sex and gender especially within the Christian church. Um, Cause unfortunately like we have, the, so not unfortunately, but we have the gospel. We have the, we have the gospel that saves all humanity um, for those who believe in Jesus Christ. But unfortunately what tends to be the most like closed off to people different than us are the, is the church because we kind of stiff on people's like, no, you don't look like us. You don't think like us. You don't, um, you, you don't do things like us. And therefore you can't come into the church with us. And they're like, but that's the only place they're going to hear the gospel. And, and know who they are and know what Christ has done for them, know what the law, how it condemns them and how the gospel comes in and saves them. Like that's the only place they're going to hear this. And she does a great job of taking them, talking to them, loving them, but also pointing them to the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she does a, a great job of threading because that's a hard needle to thread. Well, and it's, I don't remember if this explicitly came up, but the, the best way for them to get to the truth, if you really want them to see the light and truth is to explain the gospel to them and maybe have them engage with the church Yeah. by, by, by being mean to them and alienating, that's only going to yeah. push them farther away. Exactly. So if, if the church great on that stuff, yeah, yeah. If the church was to engage in culture, um, we need to maybe be a little bit more, not to excuse any sin at all. Exactly. Keep, put our, we're, we're putting our stance down. But you don't have to be a jerk. Yes. And like, just like throw a Bible at them. I was like, you have to believe this. Well, you do, but don't like, don't be a jerk and just call them names and say like, how, like, just like, just, just believe the same stuff we do and be the same culture that we are. It's, you could be nice and kind and still present the gospel to them. Yeah. We're, we're not changing our beliefs. Yeah. But we're explaining our beliefs to them and being in a loving way. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, <clears throat> I had a pastor years ago say, um, we're just beggars telling another beggar where to find food too. Mm-hmm. 
So, I mean, we weren't that great before we were saved. <laughs> no, we're still not that great. No. Um, <clears throat> we only have our title because of Christ, not ourselves. Yep. yep. Um, and then, uh, oh, I loved this episode. The next one is that aren't, well, I, the next two actually. So aren't all Christians anti-science by Logos? Uh, oh yeah. That, that was a pretty good one. Um, yeah. Do you have any comments on it? Uh, yeah, this is this is a that was a big deal for me, and I'll, I'll go I'll, I'll be sh- short and concise. Um, but it tends to be in the church, even if you don't think you're being anti-science or, or whatever. But like whenever you hear scientific studies or scientific findings, you're like, I just don't know if I can trust that because like you think that oh they believe in evolution, they believe in all this other stuff and old Earth, and um, they did a great job of of starting with scripture. Mm-hmm. And talk about general revelation, which is all the things we see around us in the world we're in, and then special revelation being scripture. And those two never disagree. Right. And they said the task of science is to study natural revelation, is to study the things of God. Yeah. Um, but it's not to study the why this is stuff. So they they I think they did a really good job of when Christians disagree with scientists, I think they're disagreeing with the interpretation of their findings where the scientists interpret their findings, which if they interpret metaphysically, which is like kind of the meaning behind it, that's not the engagement of science. It is, you are just looking at the physical world and trying to figure out the physical world. And what the Bible does is, and they did a great job is, is it asking the same questions that science is asking? Mm-hmm. Are scientists asking the same questions the Bible's asking? Is the Bible asking the same questions that science is and like I'm, and I, like I think I put my cards on the table in that episode. I'll put my cards on the table in this episode. Um, I'm not a young Earth creationist, where I, I don't think when Genesis one comes in and says, "In the beginning, God created the world." I don't think he's using that in the sense like, "Oh, God created the world six thousand years ago." I, I, for me, and I, I, I think a lot of Christians, especially Augustine, this is seventeen hundred years ago. Yeah. I agree with this. Is he's just talking about God created out of nothing, which is against all other religions at that time period. And the issue was not when he created, it's that he created. Mm-hmm. And I thought that it did a great job of distinguishing between some of these things. That was a big episode for me um, because sometimes I can get frustrated with the debate with Christians and science. And it's like, we don't have to debate. We can, we can link arms where yeah. science looks at natural revelation and makes conclusions off natural revelation. And we have the the theological explanation of all things. Yeah, they're both obviously brilliant and smart. And that's, yeah. We had them on, but even more we had them on because they're Christian. Yeah. And, and I, might, like, I might disagree. Like, I disagree a little bit with JB on kind of human theory. I, I yeah. I, the, the there's, origin. like, some, like, distinctives that I disagree yeah. on. But in general, I like, there's, there's not much I disagree on. And I just wanted to have them on because, like, they're some of the two top dogs on – the uh, and BioLogos uh, is a an organization on the relationship of science and faith. Yeah, and as we don't have to be a war between them. It's yeah, we. It's not like the Bible has its lane, the science has its lane, but the Bible explains all things, but invites scientific investigation, and then it starts explaining scientific investigations. Yeah, I I think, well, me and I think most Christians, I don't know, seven most Christians, but I, I believe that. Um, Adam and Eve were two literal people. Yeah, same here. Uh, same that very first human parents. I think yeah, <laughs> scripture is clear yeah. on 
um, Adam and Eve being two literal humans that God created. Yeah. But um, it, that episode's good. I, I have a lot to learn from them, but yeah. also there was it was refreshing because there was a lot of stuff that would that they said is like, yeah, that makes sense. But also, like even me personally, I don't see the six days of creation as literal six 24-hour days that are back-to-back. They could expand over millennia. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm what's called framework, um, which we'll explain later on when we tell you guys what season six is. Cool. So let's... The next one, um, I uh, I have a personal uh, interest in my heart for anti-abortion, oh, yeah. um, and um, this one was powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Lozier, Chart Lozier Institute, fantastic guests um, that came on. There's three of them that knew mm-hmm. what they're talking about in the clinical field, in the scientific field, um, about, uh, what happens during an abortion mm-hmm. and the sanctity of life. And then when does human life begin? Yep. And it has been, um, overwhelmingly agreed upon that life starts at conception and they talk about that and they, and it's a, it's a graphic, but needed episode. Yeah. And that's, again, that's one of those episodes where we told them on the front end to nerd out, yeah. to go as scientifically deep as you possibly can and not just kind of play the what people think of as like the typical pro-life card um but a scientifically engaged pro-life card where both nick and i are very pro-life but there tends to be some misunderstanding and they talk about too misunderstanding on um things that are not actually abortion that i think a lot of conservatives kind of all lop into one group like ectopic pregnancy they talked about, which is not an abortion, and that gets locked right. into abortion. And abortion is is a very serious issue that Christians have to think through, and not just in a an emotional way. Obviously, it is emotional, but in a scientific where like science agrees with Christians on this on on conception. Um, but I love I loved the fact that. The two women on the episode are both MDs and have, I forget, like 50 or 60 years in the field um, where they've delivered thousands of babies. They know how the human body works. They know what happens. Uh, and they're they're engaged and educated on this issue. And it yeah. really shows. Yeah, and, and not to downplay any other conversations out there people have had against uh, pro-choice people. So, totally. But, uh, and, and like abortion's demonic, like we, I I just, and it was very clear that all of us are pro-life on it, but it it answers the question of why abortion is wrong in a different angle. And I think in a refreshing way, in a deeply, probably a more respectful, I think so, clinical scientific way where you guys should share this episode with your, uh, pro-life family member or friends that are willing to listen Yep. Uh, they and, don't actually go, like you said, they don't actually go at it from a specifically um, faith lens. They go through it from a scientific lens. And they happen to be Christian, but they, they go they through happen to be scientific. Christians, exactly. Yep. Yeah. And so they talk about, obviously, the image of God, all that stuff, but they're most concerned with the scientific data. And like the science, the science is on the pro-life side. And yeah, exactly. And, and this is a th- common theme with this series, uh, Apologetics, that... Their scientific backing is backed up by the Bible and Christianity. Yep. yep. Um, so then the episode after that is 
are all Christians racist? Uh, yep. Obviously not, but that's one of your provocative <laughs> yeah. questions that I saw yeah. that come out. I was like, all, I'm not going to lie. I was a little like, ugh. I no, but it's There's, I'm I'm being very I'm being very per, very very intentional, right? Um, and that's and I mean I won't get too political in this, but like it or not, when a non-Christian looks at a Christian, they think they're racist. They they look at the mid 19th century. They look at their understanding on the curse of Ham um, from Noah, and that all blacks come from this curse, and so all blacks are cursed from birth. Uh, a lot of the southern engagement with Christianity. Um, so I, a lot of a lot of non-Christians, a lot of those who are not whites, will look at Christianity. And say, that's a Western racist religion. I'm going to go Muslim. I'm going to go something else. And so I'm I'm very aware of those questions and those those fears around the Christian faith. Um, and I want people to know, especially from Dr. Yancey, who's uh, who's black and he's a scholar and he's a Christian, um, that he's done extensive research on this. He's a Christian and he knows that like Jesus was not racist. The Bible is not racist. It talks about slavery, not the same slavery we think of today um, at all. Uh, Christians may be racist, but the Christian faith is in no sense racist. So if Christians and, and, are racist and they're going against the Bible. Yeah. And it, not even Christians are that it's a very tiny, 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 tiny. It's like going back to the Islam episode with Ibrahim, like a very small, tiny percentage would be radical Muslims. A very small, tiny, tiny, tiny percentage of Christians could be racist, but even worldwide, most Christians are, are uh, not white. Yeah. And that's, and that's what I like, again, I'm, I'm aware of the questions where, yeah, like, majority of Christians are not racist, but that's not yeah. who people see when they think of the Christian faith. They look at the Westboro Baptist. They look at kind of the loud majority who are Christians and KKK or whatever it is. L and they're like, loud oh, minority. that's Christianity. Yeah, minority. Um, and so I'm I, like, we need, as Christians, we need to be very aware. It's like, yes, majority of Christians are not racist, but we need to be aware of how we're viewed by people because that is, that's a big deal. And we need to show them that, the Christian faith is not racist. And if anybody minority or not is being racist and they're going explicitly against the teachings of Jesus and the Bible. And there's some extremely faithful Christians, brothers and sisters that are black and Asian and everything yep. else. That's not white in America. So yep. don't take our word for it. You can talk to them and be like, well, you're Christian yep. and you're not white. So yeah, but it was, it was again, it was a provocative question. I know it's a provocative yeah. question. I meant it to be provocative. I, like I know the cultural waters that we're in that when, again, kind of, you can call it liberal, whatever media, big media mm -hmm. looks at Christians. What do they usually say about Christians? Yeah. They usually say they're racist. Yeah. It's a very, uh, extreme secular hateful type of argument to try to put Christians down. Yeah. Kind of, we, kind yeah of. we have to be aware of it too. Yeah. No, to exactly. So it's, it's stuff we're not going to hide from uh, things, whether it's a legit question or not. Um, yep. Totally. That's the, that's kind of the we point. Just these, to, we just have to know it's being asked. These titles might not even be on these episodes, might not even be like technically like <clears throat> legit per se questions, but the real questions people throw yep. out there. Is what yep. you're kind of going at, yep. and this goes right into the, like the next episode. Which, oh yeah, same vein. It hasn't published yet, so I don't really. And as I don't as remember the, taking as of the moment that 
we're recording has not published, but by the time this comes out, it'll have already published. The politics one with yep. Andrew and right? Yep. And that's what I also provocatively titled. I know. I saw that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, no, we're not going to talk about politics. Uh, and the, we did a good job, like, again, yeah. having Van Drunen on where we didn't get into, like, a political, per se, yeah. Democrat versus Republican conversation or candidates or anything. We we're just talking about the... Um, Faithfully living as Christians in this civic world, like civil realm. Yeah. And... I'm excited to have Van Drunen on again because I want to learn more and from my pastor and you too, yeah. because um, I know there's terms and confusion with what two kingdom is. And yeah. if you guys don't think so, go on Twitter and see how much like people <laughs> or don't go on Twitter. Yeah. Hate two kingdom. And I personally am like, okay, I appreciate and love Neo Calvinism. Yeah. Right. I like uh, Kuiper and Bob Inc. And, I also understand what Van Drunen says about two kingdoms. So I'm still trying to like, like how do they coexist And Augustine city of God? Like I'm going through that right now. Right. So I'm like, is it, is it, I, is it tribalistic to say, Oh, I have to be two K. I'll give you this counsel. Keep reading for another five years and then maybe you'll figure it out. That, and not to go off, uh, change subjects, but we're pretty much done on recapping. But what really helped me is the Neo Calvinism episode with the two yeah. gentlemen we had on and their book. Grace Tonto like, and Corey Brook. Yeah. And they're from they're from Westminster, Philly. Right? Uh Tonto is okay. to RTS. And such like I just got done reading a two or three books in a row by Bob Inc. I love uh the aspects of Bob Inc. and what he says and then Kuiper too. And so I understand like the cultural engagement too. And then I understand the political atmosphere of the two yep. kingdoms. So I'm still trying to learn. Don't and- mind. Yeah. And that's, this takes, and this is why, um, how do I say this? Social media is both a great good and a great evil. It's great good. Cause you can get connected with people. You can let your opinions be known. It's also great evil because people who, again, how do I say this with a nice touch, even to myself, who don't have the training necessary to make to make their opinions known can still make their opinions known. Wow. And people who have done the reading, done the training, who have their opinions, um, tend not to be as active on social media. Yeah. And yeah, so that's and again the the, the episode's provocatively titled because I, I think again, it's a question that a lot of people have. Like, oh I'm a Democrat or I'm not registered. I'm I don't really care about politics. And I'd be a Christian because all Christians that I know are Republicans or all the media says Christians and Republicans and all that stuff. But it was like, is that actually, and not saying that Christians can't be Republicans or can't be Democrats, but is that even the right question to ask on the front end? That's a good way to say it. Cause it, it doesn't feel like, I don't know if the right word would be saying legit question, like I said yeah. before, but it's it, why I asked the question. Cause I think everyone thinks yeah. that question when we they talk with Dr. Van Drunen, that's not the question you should be asking about yeah. the Christian faith. Yeah. If, if they engaged with us a little bit more, that wouldn't be the question. Correct. Yeah. yeah. Um, Last episode. That was that was the final episode. We have one more. What was what was the one after that? Mark Lanier. We talked I, to him about oh engaging my. with the Christian faith. Yeah. Wow. Great yeah. He wrote the book on all religions on trial. That was a great episode, and it was recorded so long ago. I forgot <laughs> it was even in this. Yeah. Season, but he does. He does. Uh, he writes really good books on like. Um, 
apologetics against like yep. atheism and stuff. And he's a big time lawyer. So if you guys, yeah. if you guys uh, know the opioid crisis, yeah, um, he was the guy who took it down in Ohio. So if you guys heard that yeah. big case in Ohio and look up the lawyer, it was Dr. Mark Lanier, um, who's a, a a really well known lawyer and just he's a sold out Christian who writes on, from a lawyer's perspective. And so we talked to him because he wrote a book on kind of the different religious systems and how they interact and um, how as Christians we should interact with our Muslim and Buddhist and um, whatever brothers and sisters. Because yeah. all of them are made in the image of God, regardless of whatever religion they have. They're wrong. They're, 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 uh, they're going to hell because they don't believe in Jesus. They're still made in the image of God. And so we should still be faithful Christians and talking to them to know them and he does it from a, I think a really cool perspective. We we cap off our season with two lawyers. Oh, so technically, yeah, that's right. Yep. That's technically right. Van Drunen has his law degree. He does uh, have his law degree. He He's does not a practice lawyer. Yep. But uh and then Lanier's a an attorney. Yep. Uh, and but Lanier, if people want if I, my assumption is some most of our audience has probably not heard of him, even though he's a big time lawyer. They've not heard of him theologically. He's very He's very similar in flavor to Van Drunen. Um, he has a lot of theological leadings that are very similar to Van Drunen. Um, and then if people like uh, Matt Barrett, who's a, mm. uh, a Reformed Baptist, very similar to Matt Barrett. So if you want to like kind of put him on a spectrum, those are the two guys that he's probably most similar to. Yeah, I could see that. He smiles a little bit more than Van Drunen. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> but he's got those pearly whites, so why wouldn't you want to yeah, smile? Yeah, yeah. But... Uh... Yeah, he he kind of reminded me. Uh, yeah, there, I don't want to waste time on the show trying to th- brainstorm, but yeah, he kind of reminded <laughs> me of some like a few different people that we've had on. Totally, yeah, he yep. deserves to be uh, one that's, of the guests. That's season five. Yeah, guys, just do if you if you're like, oh wow, I want to listen to them all and and quickly, you can go do two x speed and crank it out. Or yep. if you listen to the U- or watch the YouTube ones, they go a little faster too. Yep. Um, so what we'll do now, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick out. We had a, I had asked on Twitter for questions and we had a crud ton of Twitter questions. Maybe do three. Yeah, I'm going to do, I'm going to kind of bunch some of them. Um, so one of the questions I actually, I actually really liked, this is from Adam Calloway. He asked, what place does apologetics play in expository Bible ministry? I think it's a pretty big question. And I, my guess is he's asking that in like the preaching, like, what place does apologetics play in preaching? Um, so when you're Pastor John, um, or when I preach, how or if or what or what should be your engagement with uh, with apologetics? And I come down the road, and Nick, I mean, Nick, you're the one who's listening, so I think it'd be helpful for the listener standpoint too um, in the audience. But I like I like Keller's approach to preaching and apologetics. His his book on preaching I think is is really helpful where he calls them apologetic sidebars. Um, where as you're preaching, there's, I think, a particularly cutting verse or cutting story against the cultural moment. So I'm preaching through the, the Gospel of John. Uh, and there's been some on like freedom or um, like law. And so I'm trying to bring in kind of the culture, like our current culture's understanding of some of these issues and what the Bible says about some of these issues and then confronts the culture with what the Bible says on these issues. Mm. Um, I've seen that being, like, I think that's effective. I'd like to hear more specifically, like, like Nick, somebody who's listening to their 
pastor. Um, have you heard like John bring in not like apologetics proper, but like how does he talk to the current culture from the Bible's perspective when he preaches, or does he? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to misrepresent or speak for him too much, but um, like, I'm trying to think of. The would best you way. like it if he brought in an apologetic point in his sermon? Well, I'll, I'll say it. What, truthfully how I want to answer, which I think would make him happy is like, I would tell him to don't change anything. Cause like, he's fantastic. And I, yeah. who am I to tell him to change anything? So <laughs> sure. Yeah. He's, he's fantastically does. But, um, I think to, I hope this answers the question. I think he balances it right. Where I felt well nourished coming out of the sermon being like, that's what I wanted to hear. Yeah. Him preach through the Bible and do the, um, the uh uh you know ordinary means of grace and and we go through go through the sermon and um i feel like i needed to step away from the the overwhelming busyness a secular world that i'm living in yeah outside you know what monday through saturday so um i already know what's going on i don't need a like a a news recap but he does bring in and it doesn't overwhelm the sermon yeah but he brings in like every now and then to give assurance and comfort as believers where we are now being christian um i don't know if that's really helping answer the question but yeah yeah that's helpful and i think maybe to help answer that too (coughs) is um yeah the the sermon expository ministry is for the preaching of the gospel, preaching the law and the preaching of the gospel to mm-hmm. build the saints, to call to conversion, those who are not Christians. And I think it'd also be helpful if churches had not, not to overwhelm, but like something on like, not to, how to think about cultural issues, but like a, an ongoing series on some, some cultural issues. I don't know exactly how it works in your church. Yes. Um, but that's that's really hard because you have to keep up a lot of data, a lot of issues, a lot of reading. Um, but yeah, so, something on the side. So that's actually, to clarify, that that's something that uh, he's also really good at. So um, I know your church, everyone does a, kind of a, probably a version of this, but um, he has a adult Sunday school after the yep. sermon. And we go through more of a, a lecture series. Yep. Uh, uh, you know, it's not tight. I'm a big fan of adult Sunday school. Yeah. And he's talking about like, he'll recap, like he just, he, he read like the Carl Truman books. And then he talked about what's going on in the world today. Um, he's talking about right now, the millenniums. So he's talking about like, what's the difference between the millennial eschatology views. And then he'll talk about the one series was on the Holy spirit. Yep. And then, so yeah, um, that helps like give room to address things that are outside that 40 minute window that he's doing preaching, expositing totally. out, of the, out of scripture. Um, next question. I think this is good for broad. <laughs> this is from Nate D his Twitter handles, pastor Nate D. Uh, what are some ways to engage in apologetics with teens who have a hard time following even basic logic due to their decreased attention spans and deficient education? I thought that was a very appropriate question. Wait, what was the question again? <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I like that. 
because <laughs> um, I think that's that's a big that's a big deal. Our, I call it our our TikTok generation. Yeah. Um, decreasing spans, um, and especially so for kids, because we think, and we had um, this doesn't come out for two days as of recording this, but we had Dr. Jessica Hooten Wilson. Especially oh, yeah. on education with kids, she, she's a big classical educator yeah. um, champion for kids, and it's because kids do have such a short attention span. Um, and I do like I'm one of those who say you do not capitulate to the kids' attention span. Uh, you right. as as easy it is for me to say without kids. Um, I've dealt with kids in ministry. Like there's a b- bunch of kids in our at our church that I uh, that I teach. Um, like their brains are so stinking malleable. Mm-hmm. Um, if you train them up in this way, where it's um, you build the logical categories over a long period of time, and I think a lot of teachers get really frustrated with kids because they don't like you can't give them everything all at once. That's a big deal with yeah. kids. Is it's just gonna be overwhelming. Like I'm sure with your two, like you just can't you can't give Leo everything all at once. Right, he's gonna cat like it's a long slow drip, and to be okay with a long slow drip with your kids. Build the foundation, um, build some of these categories, slowly catechize them, build them up in the faith. Uh, first and foremost, they need the Bible. They need yeah. theology. And then you build on top of that um, apologetic issues and cultural issues. But I think first and foremost, you have to catechize your kids. You have to build them up the faith. Long, slow drip. You're gonna, it's going to take years and years and years and years and as adults, we could have a, an additionally short-term memory or short-term um, ability to keep with our kids. Um, but I think that's that's the that's the key is we we just gotta we gotta stay on it. It's wasn't meant to be easy. It's it's stinking hard yeah. <laughs> being a parent and and with kids. Um, uh, it's a learning process for the parent too. But I I think what's cool about the Westminster standards is. And uh, our confessions are they they were some of them were even originally created for education for children. Yep. Um, yep. So lean on those, and um, also don't get impatient. I have to remind myself all the time of that. It's not about the the quantity, like you said, to shoving it down their mouth, and yep. like you need to get this. You got to remember, like, dude, they're three years old. Like, what did you know? Like, but at the same time, I am amazed how smart my kid is like he blows me out like blows my mind sometimes but i think it's based on you stick with consistency yeah they like routine and you give them doses like i recite the lord's prayer every day with my kids and it's i don't know if he can do it by heart yet but i know he's word lipped it yeah but but the repetition is what's going to get there eventually yeah, and and he he knows God and he prays to him now and it, it it's like warms my heart. Um I would also say but he's not going to be a theologian at 3 years old. No. It's, like it's going to be a long a long time. No Yeah, know who they are. They're they're uh they're little little brains, but they're actually smarter than you think. Don't talk to oh, them yeah. or treat them like a little don't no. treat them then younger than they are because if you don't, baby, even, I would say don't even treat them at their age, treat them yeah. a few years above. Exactly. So if you baby talk a baby, they're going to talk like a baby. Yeah, exactly. So I talk to my toddler, like I don't, I don't change my inflection, my voice. Yeah. And, um, I think that, that, that could help too with just, um, 
having them absorb the information. Yeah. Um, Cause they totally could. They're like, they've memorized. I mean, again, I'm not, I'm not cool and hip like all the young people are, but, and you're definitely not cause you're a lot older than me. Mm. Just kidding. Yeah. That was, that was a joke for people no, who are listening. I'm not cool. <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, they've memorized like TikTok dances. They memorize music. Like they're like they have the capacity. It's just um, they they've listened again. They've listened. They've watched to it a million times. So you have to do the same thing with truth and with apologetics. You have to not match the what they're doing, but it's the repetition, repetition, repetition over and over and over again. And as hard as it is, not getting frustrated if they don't get it the first time or second time or third time. But it's if you start young, even if you start older, you just you just keep at it for a long time. Yeah, um, use the Westminster standards, though. Yep, they're totally. meant for I kid children. Hundred percent agree. Teaching. Um, then last one that I saw, um, and there's, there's, I mean, I'll, I'll kind of summarize the rest of them, but I like this one a lot. Um, Kelly Talzak, her uh, Twitter handle is it's me Kelly one. Says which argument for the existence of the Christian God do you find to be the most compelling? To atheists or people of other faiths, and I'm not gonna like punt on this question, but I'm gonna kind of do the Ibrahim response to this, and that's to read the Bible to them. It's not just to mm. give them a curt response. I like that was kind of surprising. It's not like I I, I should have expected it from Doctor Ibrahim. But he like we asked him like like how would you engage with them? I was like I would just read the Bible with them. Like you actually read the Bible with them, um, and you allowing the Spirit of God to work in their hearts to transform them. Um, I think that's probably the biggest thing. It's it's reading the Bible to them. We can go through the philosophical arguments on top of that, but I would say that's that's probably the big that's probably the big thing. There's no like all of us want a silver bullet. Like give me the quick fast thing to work, but. I think it's, I think Dr. Ibrahim was right. It's you read the Bible. Yeah. And it's also like, it's not um, a cookie cutter thing for every person. Cause uh, you could play the long-term game with somebody yeah. that's in your life that you don't want to make things awkward for a long period of time, like a family member. Um, yeah. But then you also have uh, a next door neighbor or, or an acquaintance. Like or somebody you jump run into at the grocery store that it's a stranger. So obviously with the stranger, they have a question, you could get directly right to the point. You know, you never see them again. You want to plant that pebble in the shoe then. Um the long-term game is all about building friendship first. And um being upfront and honest, like, yeah, I'm a Christian. And then they might have their only only interaction with in any Christian is you. So Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's, I'll summarize the rest of the questions. Most, most of the questions, because there's a big debate between classical and presuppositional apologetics. Classical is, again, generalizing it. It's you use kind of rational proofs to build up to the Christian God. Um, worldly stuff, philosophical stuff, whatever it is. And I think the best known is Dr. Sproul, R.C. Sproul is a classical apologetic, um, J.V. Fesco is classical. Um, Michael Horton is classical. Um, a good majority of the Westminster guys are classical. Some are kind of tend towards presuppositional. And then presuppositional is kind of more associated with Cornelius Van Til. And it's you're you're asking them for like the kind of famous answer is like, by what standard? Or like what's your what's your underlying belief? And um 
I don't think like I don't think that's the best apologetic. There's not like one again. There's not a silver bullet. I'm I I don't consider myself presuppositional. I don't consider myself classical. It's I talk to somebody. I have a relationship with them. I present the gospel to them. Um, I let them. I mean, I, actually, I present the law to them. I like I I I try to get to know them and what they deal with and what their not what their sins are necessarily. I don't really think in those categories, but like what they what they deal with, what they have a hard time with, uh, and then bring them to the church. And I can't, I can't say I follow a specific like philosophical or apologetic model because, um, like you said, it's not it's not one size fit all fits all. I do like the R.C. Sproul's approach, um, and more or less he's he teaches that like we need they need to know what they're saved from. It's kind of hard to yeah they need the law and they need the gospel. Yeah, it's kind of hard to explain the good news when they're like, well, things seem pretty good. What? Why are you good news for what? Like what? What yeah. do you need to like? Give them the drama. I think Horton talks about giving them yeah. the drama of, of, uh, that's why our guilt, that's why our pro, uh, podcast is called guilt, grace, gratitude. Like we're born in Adam. Like this is that we deserve the wrath of God. This is our sinful state. We're under the law. We're sinful. We can't save ourselves. We can't achieve the law. We cry out for a savior. Okay. That's, you know, once they, understand the heaviness of who God is and properly fear him, then they will be like, Oh, that is good news. He saved me. Yeah. And that's, and again, I'll be, I'll be frank. I think a lot of, I think sometimes classical apologetic people get the, the rap that they're kind of too soft on scripture, too soft on repentance, which I, I could see that. And then presuppositional apologetic people will get the rap that they're jerks. And I can see that because they're just more like Bible thumpers and like, why don't you believe this? And how could you possibly believe what you believe? Mm. Um, I'm just, I think there's room to be kind yet firm in your convictions and show people, uh, I mean, even we're like, we're not fundamentally sinners, which that might shock people is we're fundamentally image of God bearers created good by God. And then we sinned, but sin is not, um, what was it? There's a call, a substance and accidents and substance. Like, the, like what we are is we are image of God bears. That is how we were created. We were created in the image of God, um, in Genesis one. And then the fall doesn't happen until Genesis three. But I think a lot of times reformed people, Calvinists can think of ourselves as sinners, which we yeah. are certainly sinners because we are all born in, in sin, mm-hmm. but fundamentally Humans are born in the image of God, and that is our kind of our touch point between all people. Is we are all born in the image of God, stained by sin, born in sin, and sinners. But if sin was part and parcel of being a human, then we would always be sinners because that is what a human is. But that's mm. not what a human is because in heaven, a human is sinless. Yeah. So it can't be part and parcel of a human. It is a condition we took upon ourselves, but will be stripped once we once we enter into the heavenly the heavenly gates. Mm, originally, we were created not being sinners, and yeah, uh, when Genesis one to two, there's no sin. Humans were created good, image of God. But don't get we, too excited right now, guys. Like yeah. we're 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 naturally sinners and can't get out of that. We have to be adopted into God's family again. Totally. But when Christ comes back, he's he's going to keep his people. Yep. And we will be glorified. 
and we won't have sin anymore, we'll be back to way that we'll be back to and better than the way we were originally created. <clears throat> yeah. So that's like that maybe recap all the questions. There's mostly and I knew it was I should have known this was gonna happen, but mostly just presuppositional versus classical, which you know what? If somebody needs a more presuppositional approach, use it. Somebody needs a more classical approach, use it. Um, use what you see the person um, person needs in that moment and get to know the person. Um, don't just thump them the first time you meet them, but get to they're know them. They're human beings. They're not projects. Yeah, so exactly. as long as that's, long. Yeah. That's that like irks me. What you just said is a lot. I think of people, uh, reform people treat other people like projects. Yeah. And as long as you stay faithful to scripture and don't turn into a heretic and you yeah. keep close handed issues that are salvitic and, you know, close-handed biblical issues sound and uh and uh don't disagree with those then i don't think it really matters i guess no. if you're yeah. classical or presuppositional because yeah. if you explain the bible the way that it is and um you're not the spirit of god will do its work it'll expose yeah. hearts through the law and it'll um renew hearts through the gospel yeah so maybe maybe i'll, I'll say my apologetic model is the law and the gospel there we go. I like that. And you know what? I, I kind of think of it the same way. And I, I go back to, it sounds corny, but the, the title of our podcast really helps me with the frame yep. of guilt, grace, gratitude. That's, so yeah, I uh, know so, we're really long on time. So what do yeah. you say? We talk about the top five episodes yep. of season top four. Five of the and then we'll, we'll preview yeah, season six and we'll, we'll finish it out. Okay, cool. So, um, what's, we what's won't, number five. Yeah, and then for sake of time, because it's a really long episode, and both our wives are probably like, where the heck are they? Um, we won't do too much commentary. No. Um, we'll just we'll say just what they out. are, and then yep. we'll repost them as our best of series uh, to give a gap between Yeah, for those who don't know, series. Um, yeah, after this episode, season five finale, the next five are the top five most downloaded episodes from the previous season. So this will be yeah. season four stuff. So those who started with us in season five, that's what we do. So we kind of take a break from recording and then we start getting primed for season six. Yeah. To give time for more people to find and like, these episodes. You're like, Hey, where do I start? Then like, this is kind of a good, like everybody else like this. And maybe this is a good, a good place for you to, to start too. Yeah. And usually there's not a giant difference between these numbers. It just happens to be the top five, but yeah. um, top five, the reformed church was the title of mm -hmm. season four. And it was just explaining really the title the reformed church yeah, what, why it, yeah. where, where historically how it got there what it is our goal uh, was to make it a little less um strange and scary to walk into a reformed church there we go so the fifth most listened to episode was the um oh, it sanchez. Was, yeah is biblical worship by adriel sanchez yep yeah so super short it's mostly like you guys have heard of liturgy um basically explains the reformed liturgy and why we worship the way we do yep yeah good good deal the next one was uh erwin ince's parachurch ministries which shocked me that this was in the top five uh when you texted me this i was like huh really Not nothing gets erwin ince we love yeah. him like i'm not surprised that it's in the top five because erwin ince is erwin ince it's awesome <laughs> totally but i was like parachurch huh that's top <clears throat> parachurch just means um, like organizations, institutions that support the local church. The, yeah. They're not part of the regular yeah. 
principle of worship. So we, we asked that because I think a lot of people confuse the church from church ministries. Well, these days there's so many churches that seem like they would be totally go to a worship service, and you're like, is that a church service or is that parachurch yeah, organization totally. speech? Yep. So um, then the next one was Harrison Perkins' episode on the Christian life. This was really good. I do I remember this episode, and this was we asked him to talk about. What does the Reformed Christian life look like from Sunday to Sunday? Mm. So if you've heard the gospel on Sunday, um, is there a material difference on how a Reformed person lives between church service to church service and, and not? Yeah. And then uh, our guy, R. Scott Clark on the yep. Heidelberg Catechism, number two. Yep. He's writing a com- I'll just say he's writing a commentary on the Heidelberg Catechism, and you're going to want to listen to the episode. And I think he likes the Heidelberg Catechism a lot. He's in the URC. Yep. And he does the Heidelcast. He does the Heidel blog. And he's like he's writing. A, I think it's. <laughs> I think he told us it's, it's something like a twelve hundred page commentary on the Heidelberg Catechism. He loves that. I think so if you he, want to know everything about the Heidelberg. You talk to Doctor Clark. I think his dog is even. He calls it the Heidel dog or something. It's a and dog. he's on. I the, mean, I think it's not its official name, but that's what he calls it on Twitter. And he's now on Instagram, so he's on the Heidelgram, I think I told him, and he th- thought that was right. funny. <laughs> yep. Um, and then number one, not too surprised by this, uh, number one episode was Guy Waters, the I was Presbyterian Church. The yeah, Presbyterian I, Church. I was a little surprised. Not that, like, I, th- I mean, I knew this would be a listen to episode, but to be above everything else, I was, I was a little surprised. We had bigger guests than Dr. Waters, so, um, but... Yeah, it's like how was the church set up? How are presbyteries set up? What like what's what's the difference between a pastor and an elder? Like how like what offices, all that stuff. It's as a helpful episode. I think I think it's because people want to know how and why it's structured, how it's ran, how it's different than a Baptist and Anglican church that yep. are other or just like non denominational church, like what on earth is the difference between a church I went to here and yeah. this church? Yeah. Um, yeah, so that was the top five of season four. So real quick, yeah. we're at uh, the very last probably minute of the show. Mm-hmm. So go ahead and tell us what we're doing for season six. We're doing introduction to reform theology. So we went from reformed church season four to reformed apologetics in season five. And now we're doing theology. So um, what is the reformed church belief? What do reformers believe? And we're largely tracking, not totally, but we like kind of mixed and matched and mashed up both the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Heidelberg Catechism together, and then created 25 episodes out of it. Yeah. And so everything from creation to um, image of God to the covenant works, covenant grace to sabbath to worship to everything we we talk about all that stuff according to our confessional standards mm-hmm. and our guests will be um purely faculty from westminster seminary california mm-hmm. and alumni from westminster seminary california so it's going to be faculty from westminster and then we chose specifically pastors mm-hmm. who were alumni from Westminster Seminary. So all the faculty that you guys love from Westminster and some pastors, some that you might know and for sure some that you don't know. So we didn't just go with kind of the big name Westminster guys. 
is we have pastors coming from across the world who are alumni of Westminster, and they're going to talk about um, theology from the Reformed lens across the world. Yeah. You, know, you, you guys will hear my pastor, uh, mm-hmm. John Morsch, come on. You'll hear Danny Hyde come on. You'll hear yep. pastors from Europe, from South Africa, from maybe from Russia. I'm still working on that one. Um, from yeah, from all all across the world, Canada, America, Mexico, everywhere. You're gonna hear Westminster alumni, Westminster faculty, pastors talking about Reformed theology. So it's kind of like a systematic explanation. Yeah, yeah. I think that's okay. that's a. Probably the closest way you can describe this. It's the basics of reform systematics. Okay, cool. Yeah. And we have we're start we're playing around with season seven ideas. Um but we won't we won't talk about that for, for a while. But I have an be- idea for season seven to cap off this episode. If you guys now that we have a lot of time, if you guys feel free to give us ideas. Yeah, that's true. I like yeah. I have an idea of what we might do, but yeah, if you guys wanna uh, see what we can do, um, what what guests we can bring, what we could talk about. But yeah, this is now officially our longest episode ever. I, I think the longest we've ever gone is like a, an hour 40. And I think we went two hours a day. Yeah, I'll have to do the dishes tonight and um, maybe a couple <laughs> other things. So you don't do the dishes every night? I do. I'm going to have to uh, do some extra chores to kind of make up for it. see. Massage for your wife's feet or back or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably what I'll have to do. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, well yeah, we got to watch just... the baseball game. we got to go watch the uh, USA That's versus right. Japan game. So. Japan's beating them 3-1 to one right now. Oh. I've been following on MLB.com, unfortunately. I wish <laughs> I you didn't tell me that. Right now. I wish yeah. you didn't tell me that because I was recording. You're going to find game. it out soon enough. By the time this comes out, you guys already know who won. We're, yeah. we're, in, the, we're in the time right now. But, yeah, it was a pleasure okay. doing season five with you guys. Hope you guys learned a lot, and we're super looking forward to season six. All right. All right. Peace. Later. Bye. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for listening to the episode of our podcast, Guilt, Grace, Gratitude. And if you go to our show notes, as a reminder, there is a link to Patreon, and you can find out how to become a bridge builder. Yeah, we've got five different support levels and the levels go from uh, just a a $5 donation to help keep the lights on and and get some equipment all the way up to you guys get to be part of our decision making process for episodes, for content, for authors, for guests, whoever it may be. And you guys get consistent conversations, maybe even since our episodes, the second that we record them instead of having to wait for episodes to come out. So look at that, see what you want to do as part of that. We have a goal to get about a thousand dollars a month. That's to cover some costs, get some new equipment and just hire some people as well. And also if you guys can rate and review us on iTunes, on Spotify, on any one of your podcasting platforms, this is the number one way besides word of mouth that word gets out about what we're doing. So we hope to see you guys next week.